Hello, like a normal person. Welcome to episode 0019 of A Review to a Kill, our podcast series about the James Bond franchise. Coming to you from fanboysanonymous.com. If you've got a fondness for the Bondness, then you're checking out this Bondcast for 19, actually 20 episodes at this point. And we are so thankful that you are on the ride with us. Who are we? I'm Tony Mango, and I'm joined by Robert D. Felice. Ah, yes, the legendary Tony Mango with, or at least half of it. <laughs> and Callum Wiggins. I was wrong about you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Rifle uh, fanboys not anonymous only uploaded once a week. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there, we have so many references to get into with some of these lines in this movie, and there's there's a lot to talk about with uh, our current film, which is the world is not enough, one that has a lot of really really good stuff in it that I think gets overlooked. And then a couple of pretty bad things that definitely doesn't get overlooked. So we're going to break that all down and do our usual thing by now. You should know the score, but just in case you don't, we also want to remind you that we want to know what you have to say about these uh, movies and we want to get your opinions about things. So drop a comment below or send a tweet or, you know, any kind of uh, means for you to kind of interact with us. The best of all of them being to drop a comment on the YouTube channel right now. And while you're watching that video, hit the like button, hit the share button. If you got anybody who you think would be interested in checking this out, make sure that you are subscribed to the channel if you haven't done that already. And ring that little notification bell to be aware of when we post these videos and when we go live on things and, you know, here and there with all that stuff. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter hit the applause button, hit the donate button, hit the join button, hit us up on Patreon. If you want to make sure that we do more of this content, you really want to help us grow and just give us a morale boost because even a dollar goes a long way in helping us out with that. But there's also the $5 tier, the $10 tier, the pick your poison tier. So if you are like, man, when these guys are wrapping things up in a couple of episodes, I really want them to make sure that they definitely do the Austin Powers movies, or I really want them to do the Johnny English movies or to play GoldenEye, then pick your poison. Or at the very least, just, you know, a $5 donation is pretty much ad block forgiveness. So keep that in mind, everybody. And, um, you know, help us grow. Help us uh, keep things going here. Help us keep the lights on and everything. So check that stuff out. Check out the merchandise shops on TeePublic and Redbubble. I am definitely going to be trying to put out some kind of designs on the merchandise shops uh, for something re related to Review to Kill. Uh, maybe like some of the jokes that we've been having more so and you know I don't know if you have any ideas let me know but outside of those plugs things let's just kind of get things rolling here the way that we normally do we start things off with the title of the movie and the alternative titles and the other kind of things that go along with that not a whole lot this time around because the world is not enough is a phrase that people can kind of transliterate so the only two that I had written down are from Estonia and Taiwan. Estonia is too narrow a world. Just, I guess, like the longitude and latitude sort of things. And Taiwan is just all over the world, which I think is incredibly bland for a title for that. No, it's not, very, it's not true. Much either. No, um, you know, James Bond owns the world now, or, like, you know... Uh, the world, it's, it's Bond's now. Bond versus the oil princess. Or something. <laughs> yeah. I would have thought that there would have been at least something related to oil, but nope, not the case. James Bond and the caviar bath. Right, yeah. Uh, 
working titles for this were Dangerously Yours, which I think could be a Bond title somewhere down the line. If somebody was kind of doing like, you know, From Us With Love has the whole like, uh, he draws on the, not draws, he's not like, you know, doing a picture, he signs the thing, From Us With Love. Um, the picture, I mean. There's Pressure Point, which to me sounds a little too generic action film. Like, um, I don't know, like Vin Diesel in Pressure Point. Yeah, it's where, like the next uh, Liam Neeson film. Right, yeah. Where he is on the phone with somebody talking about how he's got a lot of skills. There's Fire and Ice, which there isn't much like cohesion with that. So it's just generic as hell. And Death Waits for No Man, one of the 50 variations of no die in this series. <laughs> die another day, tomorrow never dies, you know, like, uh, like um, no, time no time to die. to die, you know, no die for death. Death Another doesn't die. die. Death dies tomorrow. <laughs> There's uh, on the tagline side of things, Bond is back is one. There's perpetually going to do that one. There's danger, suspense, excitement. There must be when he's around. Blech. Is that like a lyric from one of the rejected songs? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. There's uh, some men want to rule the world. Some women ask for the world. Some believe the world is theirs for the taking. But for one man, the world is not enough. That's a mouthful. And some want to watch the world burn. <laughs> and the other one is, as the countdown begins for the new millennium, there is still one number you can always count on. I like that one. That's the best one. That was my alternative opening for this one. <laughs> That's a count tap against the 21st century. It's good to know you could. There's still one number you can always count on. Episode 0019. <laughs> but I didn't think people would quite get it without the setup there. So no, instead I went with the other joke. Um, general speaking about the movie. Uh, World's Not Enough is one that I go back and forth between really appreciating and kind of arguing for against other people that are fans of the series, and then every once in a while going, yeah, I get the criticism behind it. How do you guys feel about World's Not Enough? So off the bat, I loved it. I'm curious to see whether or not this conversation is going to actually bump it up on my rankings or take it down depending on where you guys stand. But I thought that this was a really well done movie. And it's funny because Tony had said from like day one, oh, I really think you're going to like the world is not enough. Yeah. And this movie took me on a journey. But by the end of it, I was like, yeah, that was one of the better ones. I really enjoyed predominant aspects of this movie. I feel like there were, well, obviously getting to all the details, so I won't like, go bit piece by piece, but there were a lot of things to really enjoy about this movie. I actually found myself in a situation where I think I like this movie more than GoldenEye, but I know GoldenEye is a better movie, if that's a weird, yeah. <laughs> weird situation to fall into. It's, it's like, in, in my mind, it's like, there are probably movies that I've watched that I've had more fun watching, but I know are worse than this. And there are some standout issues with this which means that it wasn't in any danger of ever reaching like the top of my rankings but yeah overall it was uh, a fun two plus hours to watch that's where i go with something like for instance why the man with the gold gun is lower than goldfinger for me because i'm like if i were to say to most people i like the man with the golden gun better i'd have to preface it with 
but I know that Goldfinger is better than it. And the man with the golden gun's got, you know, lots of issues with it and whatever. And same thing with like Promotion with Love. I have Promotion with Love as my number four. And I, I think that it is one of the better ones. I know that Callum completely disagrees with me on that one, but hey, you know, yeah. opinions are opinions. And um, I would recommend that to somebody that really wants like the old 60s, more toned down spy thing and be like, you'll like this. But then. I find it so much easier to watch a view to a kill, but it's goofy as hell. <laughs> so it's like, there's no part of me that's going to be like, nah, man, a view to a kill is so much better. There's a, a horse scene and you know, like, no world's not enough is definitely one of the ones I've watched one of the uh, most out of the series. Cause I can literally pop it on at any point. And I had watched it uh, a couple of months ago. It was one of the ones that I was just sort of like, I kind of feel like watching world's not enough. So, did you watch with Caroline? No, I only had watched uh, Moonraker with her. But uh, um, World's Not Enough was one that I just sort of at like four in the morning when I couldn't sleep. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna grab that Blu-ray and just put that on, and you know. And that's what uh, I did. what's that? That's what I did. It was basically yeah. I think it was like three a.m., four a.m. <laughs> it's just an easy watch. It's fun, and this is a movie that I equate to The Phantom Menace. In the sense that I think that there are a few things that really suck about it that everybody focuses on. And then they act like it's a bad movie. And it's not bad. It just has some flaws that people don't want to overlook. And, like, we're going to get into it. But, like, Christmas Jones is Jar Jar Binks. Everybody rags on Twine about that. And everybody rags about that about episode one. We're, I'm calling it Twine the whole rest of the episode, by the way. <laughs> I'm not going to say the world's not enough. Everywhere. It's Twine. Um everybody gets focused on her and they can't see the good things just like everybody craps on Jar Jar. They can't see the good things about episode one. Cause if you boil down episode one and you get rid of like, I've said this before a million times, you bump up Anakin's age to like a 17 year old and you tone down Jar Jar Binks. And maybe the editing is a little bit better for like the discussion on the politics. That movie's fucking amazing. There are so many good things about the Phantom Menace. But everybody goes, yeah, Jar Jar Banks sucked. I like the prequel yeah. trilogy. I, I mean, I disagree. I think there's there's fundamental flaws in the Phantom Menace. Well, think about it. I'm not going to get too deep into Phantom Menace, but like, <laughs> think about it this way. Like, the Jedi are cool, aren't they? Yeah. The yeah. special effects aren't as good now as they were back then, but back then they were revolutionary. The... The idea of seeing that the story of how Darth Vader became Darth Vader is that he was a slave and that messed around with his whole perception of things and his lust for power. It's a great way to to go about doing that. Pod race is cool. And I'm not even a race guy like uh, Qui-Gon. Great character. Mace Windu. Cool character. Palpatine's cool. Darth Maul is awesome. Yoda is pretty badass just by being the leader of the council and everything. Like there's lots of good stuff about Phantom Menace and then something like Jar Jar and a couple of the other things. The dialogue of course, isn't great in those movies. And there's some bad dialogue in this one too, like uh, in Twine. I think a couple tweaks to both of those movies, Twine and Phantom Menace, you end up getting a movie that people go, wow, this is great instead of, like, meh, blah, 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 meh, meh, meh. <laughs> yeah. 
the generic I, uh I'm gonna complain about somebody complaining voice <laughs> I wasn't as you know let down by Christmas Jones. I think I had said it to you. It's just that we had spent so much time with Electra and building up that character that Christmas Jones ends up kind of seeming like not useless. She wasn't like Tiffany Case at the end, but just ineffective. She's kind of shoehorned in there to be an alternative thing, yeah. And it's because Denise Richards, and you know, that's okay. <laughs> Tiffany Thiessen was considered for the part, and I don't know if she would have done it any better or worse, but I mean, Where she's good looking. From? I don't know that name. She's Kelly Kapowski from Psycho of the Bill. Okay. Yeah. Which, of course, if you're going for, hey, can we get somebody who's super attractive? Yeah, bingo. For both. Yeah, yeah takes the box. That's basically what they did. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, which is. But, well, they just. There. I assume. So, this was. How recently was this after World Things? Uh, let's see. Uh, so, I think that that might have been the year beforehand. Yeah, so she's obviously a whole commodity at this point. Yeah, so Wild Things comes out in 1998. So, they. Depending on when they started her section of the production, that was released March 20th, 1998. So they had either seen it or they knew some of the buzz. And if she could have gotten in a little bit late than that, then, you know, well, they did three sequels to Wild Things. Yeah, they did loads of sequels, <laughs> loads of, uh, loads of direct-to-DVD type stuff. I'd imagine, yeah. It's just, uh, God, each one of these looks like they're worse than the next one. <laughs> It's one of those things that I, I haven't fundamentally watched that series because I've got yeah. much better things to do in my time. But uh, like from it, things that I've heard, is like it's basically the same plot just across all four movies, <laughs> just with different, just with different worse actors every time. So they're like, "Hey, you know that movie about the hot chicks? Well, You're we're doing bad. another one. Here's the hot <laughs> chicks." <laughs> I don't think we're going to be doing a series based off of wild things. Anybody say if you are. <laughs> I don't know if you, you know, well, well, we pick poison. Like we, we see Denise Richards in wet clothing, and that's essentially what the what wild things is. Yeah, and that's exactly what I told Tony. But it's a lesser version of the wild things, then, because <laughs> you know, imagine if they would have done that. Like, uh, you know, they just go full force with the Bond series, and he's just pouring champagne all over her naked body. <laughs> just like, all right, yeah, you know, well, we know what she's good for with that. Fucking her and Electra at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, Sharon Stone, of course, was in the running for Electra again because they were really hoping for Sharon Stone and it never worked out. And at this point, not going to happen. But Agnoko, yeah, and I don't Bellucci, think what, they got Monica Bellucci uh, well past when they yeah, were True. Put How old is Sharon Stone now? She's got to be up there. Sharon I Stone. I think she, I assume she's probably in her late 60s? 30, 60s now. She is 63. So, huh. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. But be yeah. <laughs> so be Q. <laughs> They'll switch it up. So let's get into the movie. Uh the gun barrel, a little bit more on the funky side than I like, but it's pretty rock solid. Nothing too much going on here. I I won't complain about it like I'll complain about one element of the next one that we see. And so I, I'm gonna need to like watch the gun barrels in succession one day because I don't notice any major difference ever between one or the other. There are a couple different compilations on YouTube 
where somebody just takes all of the ones one and another and it's like uh, you know five minutes long kind of thing and it's worth getting into because what you can watch them one after another you can see some major differences with like the doctor no one being like and all this other kind of stuff and then you get like for your eyes only and it's very like you know that like funky kind of vibe and licensed kill's got that kind of thing and tomorrow never dies is so chill and relax world's not enough one it's just got some little electronic-y type of things to it that i'm not the biggest biggest fan of but it's good and we start off in a bank where a swiss banker named la chase which i always liked his name says he's retrieved the money which we don't know anything really about uh very sexy woman offers bond a cigar she's in the script as just cigar girl but her name in the book is fleshed out to giletta da vinci and um, thumbs up she uh <laughs> she asks if bond would like to check her figures and he says oh i'm sure they're perfectly rounded <laughs> <laughs> which uh cigar girl yeah thumbs up on cigar girl <laughs> This was the first Bond movie that I had seen in theaters. So one of the very first reactions I had with the movie is, oh, she's hot. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be right. And she is. She had read for the part of Electra, and they were like, mm, we don't think you're really good enough for the Electra part, but we'll add you in here and do that, you know. And uh, Bond's there for some information. He's not there necessarily just for Sir Robert King's money. He knows that an MI6 agent was killed and he wants the information for who killed him. And Lachey says, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm a middleman and all this other kind of stuff. And he threatens Bond. I'm offering you the opportunity to walk out with the money, Mr. Bond. And Bond very casually says, well, I'm giving you the opportunity to walk out with your life. I love that part. Just, no, dude, I can kill you. Kind of a thing. <laughs> And uh, even though the numbers aren't on his side, a gun pulls uh, a goon pulls a gun, not a gun pulls a goon. He pulls out a guy uh, on Bond. Bond says, "I think that you failed to take into account my hidden assets." <laughs> Another great line, and triggers a switch in his glasses that causes his gun to flash, and very quickly and easily dispatches some of the people there, just flat out shooting them and giving this cold stare at the camera. I like that. That gives me more of a Connery feel. I was super into everything about this opening scene from establishing things very quickly to cigar girl to the glasses what a gadget you know to bond just taking care of business it's awesome to see bond kick ass like that sometimes yeah it was quick is a quick uh dispatch job i feel like the lines were coming on a little thick early on but i think for, for yeah, it's what you like sign up for when you come into a bond movie so yeah the more interesting stuff for me in this scene happened afterwards it's a good thing he didn't say if i didn't know any better you'd fail to take into account <laughs> just start throwing them in there mm. um he holds lachese at gunpoint ding there's another gunpoint one oh uh, yeah that, that word that word returns with a vengeance into my notes yeah. this, uh, <laughs> this time around there's at least Probably six times okay. of that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna search very quickly. You carry on. I'm thinking. I know you got uh Davidoff. You know you got two in this scene. You know you, actually three in this scene, if I'm remembering correctly, because the goon to Bond, Bond to Lachaise, 
the um the other goon to bond you got uh so so i, I ended up writing it five times but that's because i was desperately restricting myself from writing it because <laughs> i didn't want to do it anymore <laughs> just don't want to use this word anymore you got three in that you got uh electra at the end you got daffodoff you've got uh bond and renard you got uh everybody with m uh, I'm counting more, more than roughly. There's probably around nine gunpoint things in this movie. Um, that's funny. So Lachaise is killed with a knife in the back, and I always love the sound effect of that. He's like, "But you have to put the <laughs> just right in the back in the neck by the cigar girl who runs off, and Bond's almost shot by a goon or a gun with a goon." who gets taken out by a sniper saving 007, who manages to grab the money, rig up a tether to the window and to one of the other goons, jump out the window and casually walk away. I always really liked uh, how he just sort of jumps out and he's just sort of like, all right, you know, it's always cool when Bond just adjusts himself like he didn't do anything special. And this is normally where the opening would end. And this was what the plan was, is that that was the opening sequence. And after they were going through the editing process, they were like, man, it feels kind of weak. And a good portion of why it felt weak was there was a brief deleted scene. It's only like two seconds long, but of like establishing Renard and the sniper situation. And they were like, well, we can't just sort of show Renard already. And then it just didn't feel right. So instead, they were like, oh, let's just keep it going for the longest opening title sequence out of the entire series by far. Yeah. I, actually, I don't know by far. It might be only a little bit off from Spectre. Spectre's kind of long. It was, about, it was about 15 minutes. Yeah. This whole opening goes, and it's just... Like, about halfway through, I'm just really starting to... Like, it's almost like anything was particularly bad. I'm just, you know, just checking my watch. Yeah. Just thinking... <laughs> Okay, we're going to get to the credits, first of all. It's, again, it's, it's not like anything that I've seen was particularly bad or making me go. It was just like, thinking, wow, this is really this is really taking some time. I think that the when you were putting this in theaters, that it had said something like, the opening titles don't start until real two or something, which is kind of weird. I don't know anything about projector type stuff, so I can't be like, well, actually, the, you know, I don't know anything about that. I'm pushing up my imaginary stop. glasses on a thing that I don't have the video on, so that was really useful, Tony. <laughs> we can start a real one, because that's Enzo Amore. <laughs> Smart guy moment. joke I've ever made in relation to a wrestling thing. But there we go. If you got the joke, you definitely should follow smartguymoment.com, everybody. <laughs> So we're back at MX. I have no idea what Rob just said about about penis. <laughs> he got all transformery on us right then. Ah, oh, <laughs> Hopefully, Rob's uh, connection works itself out a little bit here. Um, so we're back at MX six for them going over the money. Money Penny asks if Bonds brought her a souvenir from his trip. She asks, you know, chocolates, an engagement ring. And he puts down the cigar standing up very phallic. Yeah. He says, uh, how romantic. I know exactly where to put that. Bonds just like, hmm, you know, and she tosses it in the trash can. <laughs> I really like his line afterward. Oh, Money Penny, the story of our relationship. Close, but no cigar. 
That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Great use of puns. I hope my microphone's working now. It is. <laughs> okay, great, great, great use of puns. Yeah, that's a that's a great money penny moment. I think, and that's really like one of the only things she does in the movie. I mean, she's popped up here and there, but like that's her moment for this movie. Yeah, yeah I thought um, as and as we go, we'll talk about it. But all of the main allies were very strong in this film. And uh, M introduces Bond to Sir Robert King, who wants to thank him for retrieving the money. And he says that he might even try to steal Bond away from M. But Bond says construction's not his specialty. And M quips <laughs> quite the opposite, in fact, which I like. I really like that they, you can tell that there's a good difference between like how their relationship has worked in this. Uh, Bond and M, like for instance, in Goldeneye, she talks about wanting a drink and he's like, you know, the cognac is whatever. And she's like, I, I prefer bourbon. And it's a very chilly interaction where in this one, when she offers him a drink, he just says, thank you. And they just have like pleasantries. Like the, the relationship between them has grown from golden eye dramatically. So she can even joke about something like, you know, actually he's pretty good at the destruction more so. And it's not like a, Oh, fuck you. M kind of a thing, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's um a lot more cordial, a lot more respect. Well, like she she understands. I mean, it's it's still evolved from the fact that like she understands what Bond is all about, but she kind of finds that more endearing now. Yeah, she's making jokes about it rather than saying, "Oh, you're a chauvinist that's stuck in the past." But, this, oh yeah, you destroy things. This is a great movie for M. M, I think, has maybe one of the best arching stories here. And it brought me back to Goldeneye where she's like, look, if you think I'm just all about numbers and I don't have the balls to just send you to your death or do what needs to be done, you're wrong. And we see a lot of that in this movie. This is one of the two best M films. I think we're going to get to one that <laughs> oh, it's very easily live and let die. No, it's, uh, definitely Skyfall well, takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, <laughs> miss that. Uh, now, when we get to Skyfall, it takes it up to a whole new level. But this one, they they give her a lot more to do, and I really like that about that because Judy Dench is awesome. So it's like, yeah, give her more to do. You know, um, she and King are tight friends too. They went to Oxford together. Lots of Oxford type stuff, and um, we get you know some more chit chat and Bond. Not very sanitarily, uh, grabs some ice with his hands. And while they're trying to figure out, you know, why would somebody save his life and everything, he notices a chemical reaction. Something's up with the money that he touched. So he runs off to try to stop everything from happening. But too late. King's lapel pin trigger something. And boom, there goes King. There goes a bunch of MI6 people. A whole wall of uh, MI6 headquarters gets blown out. And, um, yeah, you gotta have some balls to be able to blow up somebody inside MI6 headquarters, right? I'd say so, and I enjoyed Bond frantically running to try to save him. It put this sense of urgency on things that sometimes just isn't there with Bond films, because you just think, oh, he's Bond, he's gonna win. I really enjoyed that he was like, no! Stop! And too late? Bond has now has seen even more people die 
because probably in his mind he couldn't do the job right. Yeah, he always approaches things with a very um, laissez-faire attitude. And so to see him just screaming and shouting, running down the thing, just knowing that something's gone horribly wrong and then getting there and not in time and seeing the whole place blow up in front of him, it's just, it's it's something different. And it's a welcome change of pace to someone who basically 99% of the time gets into these situations and always manages to come out on the good side of things. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, well, somebody died, but I'm going to make a joke about it and move on. This is just kind of like, there's, like you said, a sense of uh, urgency that's not normally there. I mean, I mean, outside of the first, like, five minutes with the scene that we talked about earlier, basically this entire opening scene is Bond getting fucked around constantly. Yeah, it is. And Bond kind of... being, and ending up really on the back foot. It's you even more so next time around. <laughs> and it's it's just... In another movie, or maybe like if somebody's really being an asshole, you can go, "Well, that blew up in our face," you know. And there's just none of that. There's no quips. There's no. He's just like, "Oh my god, this person is going to die," and it feels real. It seems like that's something somebody would do. I like too that there's just that quick second where M says she rings Money Penny and she says, "Money Penny, stop King." Like that, it's not just sort of like Bond runs off and M's just kind of like, I hope he makes it. Like she's like, no, like let's get in contact with everybody to stop this shit, you know. Uh, I like that that a whole bit. He notices that the cigar girl's in a boat, looking at the area, and she starts shooting away. So he hops into his own boat that Q's working on, which Q's like, you know, stop, stop, it's not finished. Even though we see that that's like everything's fine with it. So I I don't really like that line a whole lot. I would think that that would have worked better. When, like, you know, if he would have gone for, like, a torpedo, it wouldn't have worked or something. But nitpicking. Um, so he leaps out of the MI6 headquarters into the Thames to kick off my favorite boat chase in the series. Filming around MI6 headquarters was apparently causing some issues. Because, obviously, <laughs> yeah, it's MI6 headquarters, so why not? And uh, Foreign Secretary Robin Cook overruled all of this and allowed the filming to go about and he's quoted as saying after all that bond has done for britain it's the least we could do for bond <laughs> i like that the uh music here is so good the track is great it's just this 100 percent james bond theme in action mode and it spans like a two or three track kind of thing on the soundtrack. It's like one of it, it, it begins and ends and that kind of thing, like with the, the jump out of the MI6 headquarters. But that's one to chalk up to the score. Again, I'm, I keep talking about David Arnold. Last movie, this movie, the next couple, David Arnold's music is so good. And that's a fun, fun version of the Bond theme. I got a couple notes about the actual uh, chase itself. One of them being, I really, really like that when Bond submerges, he casually fixes his tie underwater, which apparently was Brosnan's idea. He just sort of did it. That's cool. Yeah, it wasn't in the script before. He was just like, how about we do this? That'd be fun. Uh, there's explosions, a grenade launcher, machine guns, torpedoes. He sets off a car alarm when he splashes water all over some parking attendants. Um, when he's riding on the land, he's crashing through the streets and ruining a restaurant. It seems like it's over the top, but on the deleted scenes, there were like five more jokes and it was way too much. There was going to be like a dog reaction shot again. 
and some other stuff. And it was just like, no, nah, it went on too long. It was too jokey. I I think that they got the right pacing for it. What were you guys thinking about the uh, before we get to the blimp side of things about the whole boat stuff? So I didn't say it. I it was the first thought I had had in the film, and I meant to bring it up earlier. Uh, Brosnan's gotten older, very much so from Goldeneye, and I had said to you, "Well, this worries me because the next film is in three years, and I don't. I hope he doesn't look kind of like Moore starts to look. You know, he ages even more by the next one. Yeah." Yeah, and as far as this, this was a lot of fun. I didn't think it was too jokey, but maybe, like you said, it's because they took out all the extra stuff. But I've grown to like my Bond with a little bit of jokiness. I don't know. That's just me. I don't think it was uh, particularly jokey. I mean, it was ridiculous, the boat driving around on the street and just going through. That that was the thing where it kind of um, went... It exceeded my bounds a little bit too much of that going so quick, like then him just driving through the streets, being chased by cops, going through a restaurant is just okay. That's a little bit more esque. Um, I think it went on for quite a while, but I, I guess I, I guess for the most part the action was it wasn't really at at this point I was kind of checked I partially checked out just because the credits hadn't happened yet. And I was just kind of, I was kind of caught between trying to watch the action and just waiting for the actual quote unquote movie to start. <laughs> Do you think they were trying to put off garbage? Like they just didn't want to get to the song? I hope so. No, it, they, they should have waited longer. It was literally just a means of the originally the plan was ending the opening sequence at the bank and then them just being like, I don't think that that's the strongest opening. Let's push it. That's not as fun as the joke I made, though. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cigar girl winds up on a blimp bond's able to grab onto one of the ropes and he's dangling in the air while she's shooting at him helicopters are going after her she pretty much she's boned she can't get away and he says you know if you kind of like give us some information or whatever we can protect you she says not from him whoever him is shoots at the tank and bond realizes we're gonna blow up so i guess i'm just gonna fall because otherwise i know i'm gonna die he falls just in time that he doesn't blow up, but he has to land on the Millennium Dome and tumble around and eventually catch a cable. And uh, there was um, some jokes about this, about being like, uh, oh, the Millennium Dome is useful for something. So I don't know if you know anything about this you can fill us in on, uh, Callum, but is there any kind of thing about the Millennium Dome being like a big giant waste of money? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty much what everyone knows the Millennium Dome as being. It's a mixture of um, a very ill-thought-out political statement and also just being a huge sum of money. I think apparently it cost around about fifty million <laughs> to build, and yeah, it was just it was useless. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. Oh, it actually cost. Sorry, not fifty million. That's a that's a gross uh, miss miss uh, estimation. Uh, Eight hundred million. Jesus, <laughs> that's. A... <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought you were say oh, I was actually like twenty five or twenty. I thought you were yeah. gonna say maybe like seventy million or something. Even then, geez, eight hundred. Yep. Um. Yeah. So it opened on the stroke of the millennium. So thirty first December nineteen ninety nine. I did go to the Millennium Dome as a kid. Uh, I think it was probably 2000 I actually went there because 
I remember visiting the only part of it that I remember was going to the um the body exhibit, which was essentially a like not obviously a, a full scale one or anything like that, but it was essentially mimicking traveling inside a human being. Hmm. And so you would go into different uh like different sections and that would be like you were in the brain at one point and you'd go up elevators and stuff like that to get to those places. But again, I was probably so if it was 2000, I would have been eight years old or something like that. So it's not something that I hugely remember off the top of my head, but it's still it's still there. There's still a dome there, but it's now just part of the O2. It's just a part of like just a little exterior feature of the O2 arena. So yeah, it was a massive, massive flop. Eight hundred really... million dollars. <laughs> Jesus yeah, God. Yeah, just nobody like it was used for a few bits and pieces and then nobody ever went back to it after probably 2000 2001 because there really was no need of yeah really no need of it being there just a massive overarching amount of money yeah so (laughs) i can't say i can't say for certain about everything that was so bad about it but nobody seems to nobody talks about it fondly put it that way so that's our uh transition to the titles uh, which are this time around, since this plot revolves around an oil pipeline, the naked women's silhouettes are dripping in oil and all, which I'm a huge, huge fan of. I really like the visuals in this one. Probably easier to pull off, too. You know, because you're not doing anything like, oh, and they go into the internet. or you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think this is the um, the strongest visuals we've seen on a um, Bond opening so far. And I'm I actually agree. a big, big fan of the song. It's one of my favorites to just pop one and listen to at any point. So I, I love garbage. I love Butch Vig, but I think he's one of the best producers in the history of rock music. The song hits me different because it's a song that I've heard many times growing up. As a Bond song, I don't like it. As a song, it's pretty good. I'm a big fan of the the tune and the music behind it. I think the lyrics are abhorrent. Not the lyrics, the actual the actual vocals is, are absolutely ab- abhorrent. I hate it. Like like vehemently despise the way this is sung. So yeah. pretty much, you get a cover version of it that solves all the issues. Uh, depending I mean, on who, who's singing the song, obviously. If it's yeah, yeah, if I'm doing it, it's going to be even worse. Be someone better with that, but it's just I just I hate the 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 cadence of the woman's voice who's singing it. A little too just, uh, like whiny and like yeah, and droning. Like, I feel like that sort of thing. It just <laughs> like goes. Yeah, it really doesn't work for me. Like I don't know what. Did they not, did they, when they made the submission for the Bond song and stuff like that, did they obscure what their band name was? Because what the hell was someone thinking putting like a band called Absolute Garbage and making that as the people that do the <laughs> Bond thing? Well, okay, so the album is Absolute Garbage. Right. The band is just garbage, um, which sounds like I'm insulting them. I would agree. I'm not in love with her voice. It's, look, grunge rock is Great, but I wouldn't say grunge rock is Bond. You know, like they they could have chosen some something else, or maybe even just gotten somebody else to sing it. Yeah, my ideal Bond themes are typically more along the Shirley Bassey side of things. Like, 
I want that kind of Amy Winehouse, uh, Adele, you know, that kind of Skyfall. Yeah. Well, when we get there. when we get to Skyfall, Skyfall is making a big run for the top, and uh, that is something that I'm I'm not the biggest fan of either. But I, I guess I like enough of the song that I kind of just forgive it because I like some of the lyrics on it too. Um, yeah. Obviously, when you look at the lyrics written down like as a poem, it's a little bit different. And when you judge it based off of Bond versus an actual song and different things, you know, you gotta kind of preface it with some of those things but the lyrics for anybody who doesn't know it offhand or whatever i know how to hurt i know how to heal i know what to show and what to conceal i know when to talk and i know when to touch no one ever died from wanting too much people like us know how to survive there's no point in living if you can't feel alive so they they work that into there which is good we know when to kiss and we know when to kill if we can't have it all then nobody will the world is not enough, but it is such a perfect place to start, my love. And if you're strong enough, together we can take the part, the world apart, my love. And um, the other part that I like, I feel safe, I feel scared, I feel ready, and yet unprepared. It's not the best. There are far more ethereal lyrics and just better lyrics. Like, You Only Live Twice has much better lyrics, for instance. And then you get songs like Thunderball that make no direct sense with some of the movies but it's good for like bond lyrics stuff of just you know having fun with that sort of thing and moonraker just makes no fucking sense whatsoever but i like it i think it works this is one of the ones that uh on my current ranking list it is my number three bond the theme above uh goldeneye below diamonds are forever and obviously below view to kill that's my number one um, it's funny because I just said grunge rock and Bond don't mix, but we're going to be talking in two weeks about Chris Cornell, and that might just sit at the top for me until this series is over because I think he sings that very well, and the lyrics are perfect for Bond. You're going to be but, disappointed in where I rank that one. No, oh my god, okay, we'll get there. <laughs> um, the, yeah, just. A swing and a little bit of a miss for garbage. You have it currently at number eight on your list. And um, Callum's got it at number 12. 12. That's below all-time high above Thunderball. Any reason why you put it specifically in that spot? Um, I think the... So, so essentially, I when you get to that point, it is the, the ones that I... I guess actively don't like in, for one reason or another. Obviously, like from Russia with Love, Majesty Secret Service, and stuff like that. That's just because they're instrumentals, and I'm a I'm a fan of having uh, actual vocals on it. And then, man, the Gone Gun just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and License to Kill just isn't a Bond theme. And Moonraker and Moonraker Thunderball, I just think they're bizarre in terms of the lyrics composition. And like it's because especially Moonraker because it's such a weak, uh, weak final rendition for Shirley Bassey to have to sing after the other two. And so I put the word not enough there because it's kind of the for me at the moment it's the best of the worst. So all time high is the cutoff of the ones that you like. One more one that I enjoy. Yeah. What's your cutoff, Rob? Where it becomes like uh, I'm not too into that one. So I actually 
for the most part, love a lot of these. I don't, I wouldn't say that any song in particular has been just a trash fire, but for me, it would probably be um, Man with the Golden Gun. So, so I'm ranking all the other ones. I'm ranking, you know, where has everybody gone and, and different things. My list has uh, a good, like, seven or eight more. But the cutoff for me of when I actually don't actively listen to the song anymore is, oddly enough, we have all the time in the world. Um, That one I'm just not all that into. But, like, it's only that one, Mr. Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, and Underneath the Mango Tree are the only ones that I don't really like. Even if you ask me to, it's a song that I've got two versions of. I've got the Celine Dion one and the other one, too. So, yeah, I know everybody that hates the experience of love. I like the song. Why not? It's cheesy. It's sappy, but whatever. I like it. So, I'm surprised you have the Living Daylights ranked so low. Oh, it's my number five. But Yeah, but I, I would assume the top three at least. That's where, like, because Living Daylights is number five. I really also love License to Kill, and that's my number six. And I love Goldfinger, and it's number seven. And I love You Only Live to... It's kind of like, I have to like nitpick where things go on... From my number one right now, View to a Kill, all the way through Only Myself to Blame at number 14 are all songs that I'm a huge fan of. Moonraker is my switch over to. All right, you know what? Like uh, now we're now we're in a different spot kind of thing. And actually, I probably should move Moonraker below. Where has everybody gone? In some ways, maybe I don't know. I might readjust that. But uh, as we talk, I'll probably readjust mine because I've found in recent weeks that I really like Thunderball, so that might end up replacing Living Let Goldfinger. Ah, even Goldfinger. Uh, just go right above. Uh, Live and Let Die, because I really enjoy Thunderball. So, uh, we'll talk about Only Myself to Blame a little bit later on, but um, that's the main theme, by Garbage. And one that I don't consider garbage. Um, we switch over to the funeral of Robert King, and we're introduced to his daughter, Electra, played by Sophie Marceau, who, at this point, people probably know more so just from Braveheart than anything else. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know anything else that she's really done other than those two movies. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. She's probably just, uh, you know, primarily a French actress. So we'll see. But in the Scottish headquarters castle, I don't know if you guys had noticed this. There's a portrait of Bernard Lee behind him. I did not. No, I did not see that. So it's a good little reference to That's her awesome. predecessor. That's good. Kind of ignores the, you know, the other M, but yeah. We know which ones are the two main ones. And they go over what happened. Bond's chemical reaction when touching the money and the ice was because the money was actually a fertilizer bomb. And one of the notes had this magnesium counterfeit strip. The lapel was switched with a copy that had a radio transmitter in it that set it off. And we get both Charles Robinson from the last film and Bill Tanner from the previous film before that giving the information. So we've got a, a healthy combo between... M, Moneypenny, Bill Tanner, and Charles Robinson. We got like a full stack deck. Otherwise, um, we're only missing Villiers and uh, Q and, well, we'll get to Q in a little bit, and um, Sir Frederick Gray. But 
a lot of MI6 people in this one. A lot of MI6 in general in this one. I like that. That seems accurate, you know? There should be a lot of people working on things, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it shouldn't just be, you know, a whole organization and there's only three people involved. But I like Robinson. I like Tanner. So having them both fulfill a little bit of a part here and there. Very cool. I'm just doing a little bit of digging into um, uh, Sophie Marceau, just to see. Uh, she does not do another English movie after The World Is Not Enough. Wow. Period. Yeah, all French movies after that point. Wow. No wonder final I don't movie. remember anything else she's done. <laughs> yeah, final movie in 2015. So she hasn't uh, acted hmm. since uh, since then. And she's good, so I'm surprised that uh, she hasn't she had been, done more. She had been in a mixture of things. She had been in a Braveheart. She was in Anna Car- uh, a, a, a version of Anna Karenina. Um, she was also in A Midsummer's Night's Dream. The, Who um, does she play in that? Uh, let me check that. Oh, let's have a look. So she plays Hippolyta. Oh, okay. So not one of the like the main star ones, but yeah. she was in that giant like ensemble cast with like Michelle Pfeiffer and Kevin Klein, Christian and, Bale's in that. Yeah, Clister Flockhart, Anna Friel, stuff like that. I did a. Uh, I was assistant director on a play of that, so oh. I uh, I know full well trying to cast somebody for Puck. And the guy not wanting to learn his lines and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Different things like that. Um, We're figuring out some more information about hearing this. M says they're going to find out who did this. She's clearly emotionally wrecked because, you know, her friend died and everything. And something that gets no real attention is that one of the double O's in this scene that gets handed a folder next to Bond is a woman. And again, sometimes people pop up and they just go like, well, you know, can we have a female double O? And it's like, technically you've had it twice. It's just, they didn't call attention to it. Like they want a main character. Right. You know how that works. But it's like, yeah, we've established that women can be double O's. Like, you know, there's no problem with a woman being a double O relax everybody, you know? (laughs) So I like that they, included that in there because it's just sort of like that it it seems weird to say but it's like that little thing can be a big deal in some ways you could have very easily just cast another guy but you put a woman in there and suddenly it becomes a talking point of like look at that yep she's you know double o whatever and uh thank god we're beyond um my god i a woman you know right yeah that's good growth in the last four years and again, it doesn't get a whole lot of attention to it. It's just, you know, background stuff. She doesn't get a, a line or they don't assign her a 00 number or anything. But I don't know. In my head, Ken, she's 001 because they've never shown 001. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, give her 001. Why not? At least as far as I'm aware, they haven't given her any kind of thing in like the supplemental material or anything. But maybe there's some kind of like Raymond Benson novel that deals with that or something. I don't know. We'll see. If anybody knows, drop a comment below. Um, so Bond doesn't get one of the envelopes or folders, whatever you want to call it. And that's because he's he's not allowed to play. He's uh, he's in a sling. He's got an injured shoulder. He's on the inactive roster until medical clears him. So what do you naturally do? You fuck the doctor. <laughs> yeah. 
He sure did. I I told you I was like, wow, Bond is just going straight, just straight up fucking the doctor. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I, I kind of I don't say like this, but like I understood this one a bit more than some of the other ones we've seen in the past. I mean, the one from I'm trying to remember what was that. Thunderbolt. But the one where he forces her into the shower. Yeah, it's Thunderbolt, Patricia Fearing. Yeah, yeah, that's a um, that's far cry from this because clearly. He's done, essentially you get the sense but watching this scene that yeah he's done this before yeah well <laughs> she, she definitely more than into it like yeah because her uh her line in this but her name's dr worm flash of course too uh when he says that they're gonna skirt the issue while he's undressing her which is great uh she tweaks his shoulder and she says that this time you're gonna have to call me back so it's like bonds fucked her before <laughs> And given her the cold shoulder, uh, joke, uh, and she is just sort of like, yeah, we can bang again because this is great, but this time let's keep it going. And he's just sort of like, yeah, whatever the doctor orders. Obviously, he's not; he has no plans on doing that. He's just like, yeah, I, I get to fuck a good-looking girl and I get it back on the active roster. Like, you know. well, he might. I mean, you know, hey, it's it's always an option now. <laughs> that's that's a pure Bond thing, like. Look, I'm going to be reckless. I'm going to have this, as uh, M says, your cavalier attitude towards life, where it's just kind of like, nah, my shoulder's messed up, but, you know, I want to go into this, and I want to look into that more, and I'll just bang the good-looking doctor <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> like, and he's clearly done it before, and he just gets away with it. And I love Money it. Money Penny is so great about this. She's such a jealous little, <laughs> you know, like... She, really really jealous that the doctors had this fun and she has not yeah but when we get to that in a little bit that part's so good um so you know i mean obviously we don't see him having sex with the doctor we get a cut over to the next part of the castle which is uh somewhere else in this location q has his own q branch set up and he's testing out some gadgets. Uh, there's a guy that has a set of bagpipes that's actually a flamethrower, which is pretty badass. That fucking, that popped me, dude. That was fantastic. <laughs> and I love the two quips right afterward. Bond's like, well, I suppose we all have to pay the piper sometime. And Q just goes, pipe down, double S. <laughs> <laughs> again, these guys are so fun together. And again, we're very far from... I don't joke about my work. No, yes, you do. And it's great when you do. Thank you. Yeah, he says uh, he's pissed that Bond ruined his fishing boat <laughs> for his retirement away from Bond. It's not even in a way, of course, at this point in the series, you go back to like a Goldfinger and my retirement away from you comes off as because I hate you, you ass. <laughs> and this is just kind of like, oh, I'm going to try to get away from you, you lovable scamp. <laughs> Kind of thing, like yeah. There's such a good camaraderie between Broston and Desmond. I love it so much. He introduces him to the young fellow. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> All right, look, I I love John Cleese. I do. I think he is one of the best. Young. They're playing this for laughs, right? Yeah, of course they're doing that for last. That was the idea, the fact that said so the young man is doing him because following him because I, I assume that um uh, Desmond Wellen was in his uh, late seventies, early eighties at this point. Cleese was a sprightly sixty by comparison. 
So Llewellyn was born 1914. Yeah, so he's 25 years younger than I am. You know, he's a, he's a spry young chicken kind of thing. Uh, that young fellow grooming uh, to be his replacement, John Cleese, uh, gets his lab coat stuck in a car door and Q jo- uh, Bond jokes. If you're Q, does that make him R? And since oh, Cleese's character is never given a proper name in this film, he's literally billed in the credits and so many other places like the video games as R. <laughs> Just because it's like, well, I don't know, guess he's R. Imagine if they would have kept that going and it would have been like that it wasn't Q Branch this whole time for Quartermaster, that it was Q Branch just because they already went through A, B, C, D, like, and it just becomes like, you know, uh, Ben Wishaw's character is S. (laughs) Now, despite Cleese being a bit of a bumbling idiot character, he has a great line that was referenced at the beginning of this. Ah, the legendary 007 wit, or at least half of it. I didn't yeah. get that the first time. That went right over my head the first time I watched this movie. I was like, on- at least half of the, 50% of the wit, it was like a half of a good, I'm like, I don't fucking get it. And then eventually it just dawned on me and I'm like, oh, oh he's God, calling I'm him half a wit. half wit. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm an idiot. Like, you know? <laughs> to, to be honest, that's kind of how a lot of John Cleese humor hits you eventually. Yeah. It's just... I, I think, and, and again, we'll, we'll talk about his role in this movie and especially, obviously, more prominently in the next one. He's one of the greatest comedy actors of all time. Ah, definitely. And one of the greatest comedy writers of all time as well. I would obviously state my rotation with that. Monty Python, 40 Towers, uh, Fish Called Wanda, all this stuff. He's just, he has impeccable timing. He has impeccable, like, awareness of what he's supposed to be at every point in time. I don't like the fact that he plays himself off as a bit of a bumbling fool here. It's the fact that mm-hmm. the Cleese that I know, I mean, he has played obviously those sort of characters, especially in a lot of the skits that, skits that he did with her, Monty Python. But post that point, the, the characters that he more typically plays or the ones that I find myself um, enjoying the most are the ones where he is in a position, he believes himself to be in a strong position of power, but he always gets foiled in that regard. So rather than getting his coat stuck with a bit of a bubbly thing and getting caught up in that little cocoon thing, as we'll talk about later, it should he should be a bit more. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because he, he does come across as pompous, but he doesn't come across as like in control. I think if you cut out the bit with him getting his coat stuck in the door, it helps out a lot. Yeah, probably. Because some of the other, like the half wit joke, is great, mm. and I like that. Like. Bond, he checks out the x-ray specs and he's just sort of like, ah, oh, we got new specs, we got a new car, whatever. And he's just kind of like, I thought that you were on the inactive roster. Like, he's he's calling Bond out and he's kind of just like, you know, okay, we're going back to, like, Q having a bit of a you have to warm up to me kind of a thing. And I think oh, that could have worked a lot better. You, you take out the lab coat thing, and I think that R doesn't seem like as much of a jackass. No, I appreciate the contentiousness about it. Just the fact that obviously he hasn't had time to build up that rapport. And the only thing that what R seemingly knows about Bond is he's destroying tons of his yeah. stuff. He hasn't had a chance to just build up this long-standing relationship that Q has with him. 
and so you can understand why there is a bit so i would have thought like over time it would have been but the story would be the four the fouring of that relationship so it's a bit more like friendly from one side to the other but obviously he's only in one more movie and then they decide to go in a completely different direction yeah that's we'll talk about him in a different way uh and die another day but he goes over the car a little bit, titanium armor, heads-up display, and six beverage cup holders. <laughs> I like that line. Just like, you know, that's a great uh, benefit to it. And he says, all in all, rather stocked. And Q corrects him. You know, Q's pulling the, the power move here. Fully loaded, I think, is the term. And R, you know, it get a bit more contentious, I think. And uh, Q Puts it back in his place. You're not here to think. You're here to do what I tell you. Now put on the coat and demonstrate it to 007. And he takes it very literally. He starts explaining how to put your arms in the sleeves, <laughs> where the pockets are. Uh, question to Callum. Do you call the buttons poppers? Or is that just one of the things that he says? I think that's just an old man reference. Okay. I was just I, like, I don't know I, if that's I, a British I, thing or not. Like, <laughs> Well, I assume it's some sort of reference to something that maybe it was called during i don't say like his day or something like that but maybe that was something that they, they referred to when he was younger but not something that um not something that i'm aware of it's a uh, pockets poppers zipper take the uh one part of the zipper and put it in the other and q's just like i just pull the damn tag which creates this bubble protective airbag kind of thing around him and Again, it's like it's too bumbling for my taste where he's rolling around and he's like, but you said Q. I, uh, I, I wouldn't I would tone that down a little bit more. I know they're going for joke and stuff, but I think it is kind of a little like, oh, come on. This guy's the quartermaster and he's that much of a bumbling goof. Well, I think what it is, they liked you being fun. So they thought, let's kind of go all the way there. But I think what makes Q being fun Fun is that he started out deadly serious. Yeah. And he's just warmed up over time to this crazy guy as he becomes a crazy old man who just wants to retire. And uh, by the end of this movie, and then of course even more so by Dying of the Day, R is not an idiot anymore. So it's just in the scene. So... That's where, like, the the writer in me is kind of like, I know what you were doing, and I can see it, and it's very transparent, and I kind of don't like it also, so I'm a little bit down on that. But we get good cue stuff here with uh, Bond says, like, oh, he's well-suited for the job. And he said, wow. he can't help but to ask, he says, you're not retiring anytime soon, are you? And here's one of those uh, gut punch type of things. Q replies, now pay attention, 007. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. Bond says, well, what's the second? And he says, always have an escape plan. And we don't see it, but he presses a button. The floor beneath him starts lowering. And he slowly descends out of the frame and out of the series with this sad music track that transitions us to the next scene. They didn't score this, but... That's the last we see of Desmond Llewellyn. Three weeks after the movie premieres, he dies. Yeah. Um, and it's not that he even dies from old age. No. He dies from a car accident. 
at age 85. Head-on collision when he's heading to a book signing. Yeah, that's like, ah, like, fuck, (laughs) you know? Yeah, so there is no indication that Q was had any intention of retiring from the role prior to this. Obviously, they they obviously made the intimations about the fact that he was going to like in the film retire, but there was there seemed to be no there seemed to be no plans in place to say that this would be his final movie. He might have come back in die another day, and maybe that would have been the big transition over at that point. But yeah, it's um. Yeah, it, I mean, it it sucks in like two ways because again, the 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 absolute like best case scenario is the case that like Q Desmond Lennon doesn't die the way that he dies, and he gets to carry on. We gets he gets to just live out the rest of his days, whether it is in the Bond franchise or not. But the biggest issue is that it's because it was three weeks after the premiere. Then there's no real there's there's no way to bring. To, I guess to re-edit the movie to be a bit more of a tribute to him because obviously by the time the movie came out he was still alive so it's just like okay Desmond's there and we might get Desmond back for the next one and that's all great but if they again it sounds morbid to say but if he, if it was something a case where an actor passed away during production or while the movie's being like getting the final edits done and stuff like that they can make it more poignant. But it, funny enough, really, just through sheer serendipity, they managed to make it a really poignant way for him to go bow out the series. Yeah. It works really well for what it is because it's literally like, hey, you're retiring. Oh, you're not retiring anytime soon, are you? Which is like almost a way for like the fans and the Bond community and everybody to kind of be like, oh, dude, don't leave us yet. And him being like, Gotta go, I'm sorry. And for him to descend out of the frame and it's like he's passing away and, you know, I mean, obviously you, you, he got, uh, he was cremated instead of buried, if I remember correctly. But like, you know, you lower a casket, you lower Q with that. The music is not played for like a joke. It's played like this somber tone and it's in a funeral environment because of the bagpipes and the same funeral thing. And it's like, Ah oh, man, it's just end of an era for a guy that was in 17 Bond films and it still feels like we didn't get enough of him. So, until I heard that information, I had assumed that there it was time to write you out of the series and because of that I wanted this specific you're not planning on retiring soon a little more towards the end of the film just so that like because that was on my mind throughout the entire movie of just oh that's it for Q man but wow what a great like Callum said serendipitous way for things to just work themselves out because always have an escape plan if I can help it I'd like that to be the last thing I say to a lot of people you know I've always said I wish my first word would have been quote and my last word could be unquote <laughs> I'm, if I ever have kids, I'm gonna literally try to get my kid to say "quote" as their first word. <laughs> Caroline's, so Caroline's you. like, "Don't you fucking dare!" And I'm like, "But how great would that be? Like, literally everything in your entire life you're is within that." Like, 
you're the only one that will appreciate that, and <laughs> you probably won't be there to, you know, get it. I know, but I can tell my future kid, like, dude, literally everything that you've said has been inside these parentheses, you know, like kind of thing. Like, <laughs> parentheses is way too hard for a little kid to say, but quote, yeah. So if I, you know, ever have a kid, I'm going to be just standing around them going, quote, 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 until they could just go, quote. And I'll be like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's a great way to, to go out with this kind of thing, because he goes out with laughs and he goes out with something poignant and with reverence. It's not like Hugh, you know, is the bumbling idiot and then he dies or whatever, or that it just sort of is like, well, that's the last Q scene and it's just, uh, you know, eh, it's, it's fine, but it's not one of the better ones or something like he gets his moments and, and he was uh, heading on his way to a book signing. So he was still very much just kind of like, yeah, just like living life, whatever. And some 35 year old guy just head on collision, just an accident ends up hitting him. His wife dies two years later. His son dies 12 years after that in 2012. And it's just, uh, yeah, there goes Desmond Llewellyn. Fucking amazing part of the series. One of the absolute, absolute treasures. Mm. Nobody did it better. And that, uh, that tribute video. Mm. They yeah. got, nobody does it better and they're playing that and they're showing the clips of his things and all that. Ugh. Waterworks. So that scene always to me is like, there's a couple scenes in almost any Bond film where I'm like, all right, these are the scenes that make this Bond film. And the Q scene with this is one that I'm like, all right, you could take out this, you could take out that, you could take out full characters in this movie, and I don't think it really damages the movie. Sometimes it might even make it better. Like, I don't think that Gabor is good. But, like, this scene is, like, one of the most important scenes in the series, I think. Just because of the actor. It's just... Ugh. It's cute. Yeah, it's cute. So... Unless we have anything else to say, you guys have anything There's else? There's no yeah. happy way to transition. Yeah. Like, he was the best. Uh, Bond's looking up some more information about Sir Robert King and Electro on his computer, which apparently is a touchscreen, even though it clearly isn't. And uh, Electra was kidnapped several years ago. She was held ransom for $5 million, the same amount of money as the beginning of the film. She escaped by shooting and killing two of her captors. Turns out Bond is locked out of looking deeper into this, and he calls M out on her being the only one that could have sealed the file. So she spilled the beans. When Electra was kidnapped, uh, Sir Robert King reached out to M for help because obviously, you know, you know she's the head of MI6. So, <laughs> you know, she should know more about this stuff. And she says, since they didn't, uh, and they never negotiate with terrorists, she went against every instinct in her heart and every emotion as a mother and told him not to pay the ransom because she thought they had more time. And the terrorist is back. Who's the terrorist? Victor Zocas, otherwise known as Renard the Anarchist. Before we even get into Renard, I hate the name. Yeah. 
Renard. It just sounds like, I don't know, the nerd or something to me. I hate it. Yeah, it's not great. It's not like he's, you know, Billy McFuck yourself or something, but like Renard, I'm just sort of like, Victor Zocas sounds like, okay, that guy's going to fuck you up, sort of. Renard is like, I see the tech guy. <laughs> it's yeah, French or something. Like- it means something else. I, I know there's some kind of you know, elements to it, but yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not feeling that. How you feeling, Gal? It's not particularly Russian. Considering that he's a KGB agent, or at least a former one. I would imagine it'd be. It would make more sense to have some sort of Russian name instead. It's. Uh, I think it's French. I'm trying to find that information now. Um, where it's like it means something, and that was like the reason why they went with it or whatever. But um, okay, so it's French for fox. So that's not even worth it. Yeah, it's not. It's not French for bullet in the skull. So originally, the character was French in the first draft, and his name was, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Claude Seralt. So it's still like, just, uh, you know, Claude. (laughs) This was going to be the reason why Stamper no-sold everything. They just carried that element over. It was going to be like, oh, Stamper doesn't react to getting stabbed all the time because he's got this deficiency where he can't feel pain and whatever. And they're mm-hmm. explaining it in this movie instead with uh, M had sent 009, maybe the same one that was the clown, maybe not, maybe a different 009, to kill Renard. He shot him in the head, but Renard obviously didn't die. And the bullet is still in his head. It's ruining his senses. Uh, he feels no pain. And as Dr. Warmflash says, he can push himself harder and longer than any man. He'll get stronger and stronger until the bullet eventually kills him. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> that's dumb well, we did well, we did just see a boat driving along the <laughs> driving along the road a little while ago I'll buy a boat with a rocket engine being able to push itself through there a lot more than a dude's got a bullet in his brain and it's conveniently only killing off his senses until I. this oh. is hokey shit that I don't like I'm like you, you're getting into superhuman territory here there, there is I mean the fact that he's making him stronger probably does go over the top. There are there is medical like things out there with the sense that like if you pressure put pressure points or you have even needles or in this case bullets put into certain parts of the brain, it can cut off different parts of the senses and stuff like that. Or um so there is there is some logic in that. There could be some sort of idea that a bullet has been gone in the exact right place that it's basically cut off his ability to feel anything and he's numb to to anything. I can kind of buy that thing. The thing the fact that he's getting stronger is right. a bit ridiculous. I don't know how it really works in that regard, but the the, the no feel, feeling anything I can kind of buy. Yeah, if they just kept it as he doesn't feel any pain or any kind of senses. Okay. But like he can get stronger and stronger every day until he dies. You got to turn him into the fucking Hulk at the end of the movie. You know, like, <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, I do really like money. Penny calling bullshit on bond getting cleared though. And she says, uh, she's sure that Dr. Wormflash was 
touched by his dedication to the job in hand, and she shoots her daggers. Yeah. You fucked him. <laughs> like, it almost endears me to Money Penny that she just wants that relationship with Bond, and Bond won't do it because Bond is like, not you, care about you too much to just either use you or not. Right. You mean more, way more to me than a fucking Chuck situation. And she's just like, but you got the fuck on you bitch. (laughs) So much more just endearing to both of them as the series goes on, because that's why he won't do it. Cause I'm not going to do that to you. And just that, uh, that sort of like, you can almost take that too in a way where she's just sort of like, you couldn't resist him. Could you Molly? Whereas like yeah. Money Penny's kind of like, oh, I'll give yeah. him the give and take, and kind of like, you know, when she says, you know, uh, this type of thing will constitute sexual harassment, and like, but maybe you'll have to make good on your innuendo, innuendo, like that kind of like, you know, I can match Bond with that. Molly, you're just putty in his hands, like that kind of thing. I I love that little bit of Money Penny there. I was just like, <laughs> you can tell there's just this animosity between her and Molly and that. Yeah, uh, go the I'm not to add to that. Other than the fact that, yeah, Money Penny is uh, with a lot of jealousy. One of my favorite scenes. And again, Money Penny, one of the best treasures of the series by far. I don't know how they could have gone a couple movies in the next, like when we get to Craig, where they're just like, oh, you don't need Money Penny for a while. It's like, what? Like, ugh. We'll get to that in my complaints section on the Craig series. Um, so once again, Electra is going to be the bait. And M has another great line for this shadow operation. She tells Bond, remember shadows stay in front or behind, never on top. (laughs) So hit it from the back. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I thought that that's great. Cause it's like, again, you know, M at this point, she knows what Bond's up to. She's just like, all right, we're going to use her as bait. I don't feel comfortable about this. Also, can you not fuck her Bond? (laughs) fuck the doctor you fuck this one you fuck that one i love it absolutely love that and to his credit bond does show some restraint for a few hours yeah a little bit of restraint (laughs) he's got about the same restraint as when caroline and i got together during the beginning of the pandemic where um we're uh this is i don't know a, a month after the pandemic really kicked in and she was planning on spending uh, you know, however many months going forward um, with me at the at the whole thing. And she's like, but I'm worried that I'm sick. And I was like, well, yeah, I know. It's kind of like, uh, it's a scary type of thing. And so she gets to my place and she's like, but I think that we should wait at least a week before I even kiss you. And 45 minutes later. <laughs> so you know, Bond being like that. I get it. You know. <laughs> Um, there's a great rendition of the main theme for the transition to the next scene. And again, David Arnold knows how to work these themes in there. He is so good at it in ways that so many other people in this franchise aren't. Um, we meet Electra's chief of security, Davidoff, along with her bodyguard, Gabor, who is certainly a boor. Yeah. Tell me one thing about Gabor's character other than what he looks like. 
I didn't even write his name down that time. Yep. <laughs> I will spoil this. Better. He is my absolutely bottom of the tier henchman in the entire thing so far. He is worse is than Vargas. He a henchman? He doesn't. Oh, he totally is. He's a bodyguard. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, I mean, it, yes, in theory, but like, he doesn't do anything. Yep. He shoots. He shoots a couple of people sometimes. Eh. We have four henchmen in this movie. Five, if you count another character we're going to get to in a little bit. But we have four henchmen. And the four henchmen are in my bottom one, two, three, four, five, six. Bottom nine of all the ones. We've gotten 41 henchmen on our list. And four out of them. All four like that I'm technically classifying as henchmen are in the bottom nine for me. None of them are above Eric Kriegler. And I don't like Kriegler. The top one being Cigar Girl. And it's like somebody like Gabor. What a pointless character. Yeah, I was disappointed by the end. Yeah, just he just she's been protected by a big dude. That's basically it, really. I think you should have combined the Gabor and Davidoff characters. Davidoff dies really early. Yeah, but Gabor doesn't do anything past that point that's really worth it. I, I guess so. Like, uh, Bond takes out Gabor in one scene, and then in another scene, it's him and Bull. And, you know, so it's kind of like, they could have just killed him off. So I don't know if the guy like- got, like, the part because he's just, like, somebody knows somebody, or, uh, I don't know, whatever it might have been. Can we, t- can we talk about the fact that when Bond is making his entrance into uh, Azerbaijan, there's this giant helicopter, there's this helicopter yeah. that's cutting, using this giant weird buzzsaw contraption to cut down trees or something. And then I immediately just dumped that down and said, okay, I wonder when this is going to come back in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And this was uh, in the script for Goldeneye. They just didn't have anywhere for it. They were just like, wouldn't it be cool if helicopters has buzzsaws attached to them? And they couldn't figure out where to put it in there. So they're like, ah, we'll figure it out. And they tried to figure it out for Tomorrow Never Dies, and they didn't. And then they finally figured out a spot for it to work this time. That sounds like the most Dr. Evil thing ever. They have freaking laser beams on their heads. No, it's got to have the buzzsaw. Yeah, I'm going to have freaking helicopters with freaking buzzsaws attached to them. (laughs) Just dangling. Cutting down I'm trees. Not, I'm, just, I'm just finding that piece of. I'm just love the fact that they made a move. They made this movie, and a big point in their head going into this was we need to somehow incorporate this buzzsaw <laughs> helicopter. Yeah, they're like, like, look, we've done two of these, and we haven't gotten the buzzsaw helicopters in there yet. What can we do? I want it. Like, this is a must. And really, for the most part, when we get to that scene, it exists just so they can be like, how fucking neat is this? <laughs> yeah. So a bunch of villagers are mad about the pipeline. Electra seems like such a nice woman because she's rerouting the line by avoiding going through their area, even though it's going to cost them millions and take weeks. She's just, you know, a real humanitarian. And uh, she chats it up with Bond a little bit, fills her in that her mom's family found the oil, the Soviet Union got involved, blah, 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 you know, those, those damn Russians. And the most interesting part about this scene is... At least from my point of view. Electra asks him, tell me, have you ever lost a loved one, Mr. Bond? And he takes a long pause and completely ignores it and just says, 
you know, M sent me because she thinks that your life's in danger. It's the ghost of Tracy haunting again. And at this point, I messaged you, and <laughs> this scene stayed with me for hours to the point where I think, like, later in the day, I messaged both of you, you know what, it's bullshit that Tony downplays on her message Secret Service because it's one of the most pivotal Bond mm-hmm. moments. And you, the whole time you're building it up, you're just like, ah, yeah, but Lazenby, and he, yeah, he's not great, and this is the most important movie. Like, it's, I, I love that's it what's the back. that's what kills me about Secret Service because a couple things change in that movie and it becomes it, like number whatever it might be. But I just I I don't like Blofeld. I don't like Lazenby. I don't like the way that they sh- uh, shove Tracy out of the movie for half of it. And then she just comes right back in and it's just like, Oh yeah, I forgot about her. And it's like, damn, it's so important. And I want to love it so badly, but I just, I can't watch it without hating a lot of it. And it's the, it's the movie that like you either love it or you see the flaws in it. Like I do. But even if you see the flaws, you appreciate Tracy. Like Tracy is so damn important to the series. Yeah. And kudos to Callum for having the foresight to have it at number one. What's the best movie? Uh, clearly it's, it's clearly one of the more important ones too. I love whenever they reference Tracy and I hate that when we got the switch over to Craig it just becomes okay. It's it, that's not a thing anymore. We don't. We don't know. It might come back. Maybe he actually will stay with Tracy. You know. Maybe there'll well, be a new Tracy. Yeah. That lives. Oh, there's time to die too. So I don't know. How weird would it be if at the end of No Time to Die, somebody just pops up and it's like, hi, my name is Tracy. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, but I really love that they added this in there because, again, they could have very easily just cut that line and just had him be like, you know, ah, well, we've all lost somebody or like, you know, but I, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. And he's back to quips right afterward, too, because he's Bond. So she's going to check the service line and he says, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I hope you know how to ski. And he's like, well, I came prepared for a cold reception. <laughs> I love the return to skiing in this franchise. Was you know, that a... I was getting worried about those um those stunt skiers. Those yeah. Kind of just sit hungry waiting for another bomb movie to come out and they just keep passing them by. Yeah, I have a note in here after the cold reception line that says Callum's happy. <laughs> I mean, as, as far as like skiing scenes go, this is one of the... I, yeah. I would say it's pretty weak. I'd say it's pretty weak in comparison to a lot of the other ones because it's not as long and there's and there's not really as much that happens in this one. But there's some good mountain shots. It's always Why nice. Why did it have been better just... with California Girls? <laughs> <laughs> the skiing sequence at first is very light and flowy. It's the whole like they're falling in love type of a thing, even though they're you know, they're not at this point. But there's a song in this that David Arnold keeps hearkening back to. It's one of his go-to repetitive, like love themes throughout his tender, uh, ten, tenure, not tender. tender. 
I really, really love David Arnold's work with the score in these movies where he has motif ideas. And I'm going to talk about another one of them later on when we get to a Bernard scene. But anybody who's like a – you don't even have to be a music, music aficionado. I don't know jack shit about music. But throughout his movies, he has like – Here's the love theme. Here's the action theme. Here's the tension spy theme. Here's the whatever. And it carries on from these different movies where you're like, by the time you get to like the Craig films, even just that quickly, and you hear some of these themes subconsciously, you're like, oh, that's tension. And it's like, yeah, man, that's how it works. Like, I hate how in so many series these days, and they did this for a little bit with the MCU, and I'm thankfully by the time they got around to like phase two, they were out of the habit. The MCU established these themes and then got new people to do new themes. And eventually somebody was like, no, we need the Avengers theme. There's a great video on YouTube uh, that I, I'm blanking on the name of it right now. But it just talks about a guy goes up to people in the street and he's like, what song is this? Bum, ba -dum, bum, bum, ba -dum. They're like, oh, Indiana Jones. And it's like, James Bond. Godfather. Okay, Star Wars. And he goes, sing me something from the Avengers movies. And people are like, uh, and yep. it's true because for a while there, they weren't keeping recurring themes going. And eventually, of course, it becomes now at the point where you hear this, like, you know, da 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 kind of thing. And you're like, okay, that's the Avengers theme. And, you know, uh, you've got the Winter Soldier theme harkens back in Captain uh, America and the Winter Soldier all the way through Falcon and the Winter Soldier and different things. They learned their lesson, and David Arnold is fantastic for keeping that for the series, where it's just like, that's the tension theme and whatever. So the love theme in this means even more in future movies, so gushing about that. But um, this is the first skiing scene we've seen since uh, Vita Will Kill, unless you count the cello in the car with Living Daylights, but that doesn't really count. Actually, did we decide if that counted? We it's that's the skis uh on the car. Did we count that? I enjoyed the cello. <laughs> I mean I mean I I, no, I, I I wasn't a huge fan of the cello part of it, but I think that um I don't think that counts as ski skiing. Yeah. Because if the car's on skis, it's not it's not they're not skiing, the car's ski. Yeah. <laughs> well then technically it is still a skiing sequence. It's a no, because it's car, a car skiing. <laughs> it's a car. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, it's, it's like saying oh you can't cast that um thing at the start of the movie as a boat scene because he drives on the land at one point <laughs> well, it was uh you know it would be the second time you know in the series that he drives a boat on the land moonraker actually well, no that was a, it would be the third a, time um, to be fair that was a hovercraft so it can go on land and water as well uh, forgetting about the uh, the part in Live and Let Die, where he breaks uh, the cake apart. So <laughs> I never forget about that. <laughs> uh, God damn boy! 
<laughs> Start getting into JW Pepper here. Dems Democrats. This time around, uh, Bond is being hunted down by snowmobiles with parachutes and machine guns, which seems really impractical, but that's fun. I like it. Yeah. The grenade physics always bother me with this stuff. So yeah. They just drop them down, and it's always in front of Bond, even though they're like one on top of the other. My favorite moment of this whole sequence is when Bond maneuvers a guy to fly off the edge of a cliff, and he's very proud of himself. And he says, See you back at the lodge. Now, obviously, nobody's listening to him. Bond is literally, again, doing this to make himself laugh. And the other, the guy has another parachute, and Bond, he's not going to crash. And Bond's face goes from smiling to, ah, shit. <laughs> I love that because that's definitely like, let's play with Bond a little bit here, you know, like, ha ha ha, I just got, ah, damn it. <laughs> kind of like, love it. Love that part. Speaks to my whole theory about him just being a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. He's humming the theme in his head the whole time. Yeah. Uh, he's able to dispatch the last guy by using his ski to clip the parachute, which is what happened during the stunt of the spy who left me. So they're referencing that a little bit. Although, I, yeah, obviously that guy didn't die, thankfully. <laughs> and uh, the explosion sets off an avalanche. Thankfully, he's got his protective coat, so he helps save, you know, Electra, and she flips out that she's gonna suffocate. They're insulated inside the bubble airbag thing, and they're safe. Neat little scene. I, I was I was actually shocked that he decided to bring that on the mission with him. After what he saw, he saw the demonstration and thought, yeah, alright, I'll take it. <laughs> Might be oh. like a school supply kind of thing, they just put the stuff, you know, it's like, mm. you're taking this, I don't care what you do with it, but you have to have this. I mean, it's the type of thing, like, if you're going to get the watch, you might as well have a watch that does that. If you're going to carry around sunglasses, they might as well be x-ray. If you're going to wear a coat, they might as well have an insulation thing on it. Instead of carrying around, like, the um, set of ropes in Octopussy that you can climb up, <laughs> or, like, a goddamn the umbrella in For Your Eyes Only that it's going to spike your uh, neck. Or that plate that decapitates people, you know, <laughs> the serving tray thing. But you need um, a pen. You might as well click it three times and throw it at somebody. I was very surprised that the thank God we're alive sex didn't start right there in, in the, the bubble. In the bubble, yeah. <laughs> Takes a little bit of time. You gotta warm up a little bit. So in Baku, Electra wants Bond to stay with her. He can't. And she calls him out, you know, well, who's the one that's scared now? Scared of love. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes to the casino, you know, play some little uh, banco banco sweevy wheat kind of stuff. But we don't get to see that. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't do anything. He just <laughs> well, that's I said. business there. We don't get to see it, you know. Maybe he played yeah, some hands ahead of time, you know. <laughs> well, he gets, he gets to see a hell of a lot. Because he's got some fancy, he's got some, finally, it's taken 19 movies or whatever it is, we've finally got x-ray specs. And everybody in the casino is packing heat. 
Not a damn person in that place that doesn't have a gun on them. <laughs> Some of them, even like the women, have like three guns. Yeah, they have like one gun in their like upper pockets and then a, a knife around their thigh and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> Hell of a casino, right? Next time I'm in a casino, I'm going to be wondering, you know, how many people are around there. I mean, we know who owns it, so. Yeah, true. The guy who owns it is who he's after talking to, and uh, he says he wants to speak to them. This guard's, you know, kind of giving them the shit. So Bond orders a vodka martini, grabs the guy's gun, stabs his tie through the bar, hands the gun over to the bartender, drinks the martini. Bond's so smooth. Yes, you now very casually doing that. Smooth as fuck. <laughs> this was about everything that you just expect James Bond to be. It's like uh, he's looking around with the X-ray specs, and he sees that all the panties drop in the air. <laughs> Dr. Warren flashes like I'm having hot flashes. Um, guy who owns it, Valentin Zukovsky from Goldeneye. He's more jokey this time around, too. So yeah, this is a lot more what, are you, what, are you, what you'd expect from Robbie Coltrane. What was uh, the first thing that pops in your mind when you guys see, yeah, it's Valentin. Oh, God. <laughs> Why, oh, God? I, I wasn't a too much of a fan first time around and I was just like I don't know if I like where this is going. This is at, still at the point where I'm like, opening scene was good, Q was great main allies were good, I'm not in love with Electra at this point. I even told you, I was like, if she's the main Bond girl, I'm not like, I just, like I'm not feeling her as just like a casual Bond girl I just wasn't fully into the movie yet so I was happy he was back because I feel like he was, that was one of the things in GoldenEye that I felt just wasn't played up upon, just him, because I thought he was a strong character. And so it was good to see him return. And then, oh, he's got a goatee this time. Yeah. That was kind of the first thing that really captured my attention. It's like, oh, he's got a goatee now. I don't know what that was all about, if that was like a choice on his end or they wanted him to have it or if he was like doing that for another movie and they're like, yeah, it's fine. But it definitely stands out. Maybe that's Maybe that's what people saw that and thought, Ah, huh, he can pull off a beard. Hagrid. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so he tells this guy that's with him, Mr. Bullion, to give the girls that he's with, you know, these uh, two floozies, give them some money, give them an inch, and make sure that they lose it in this casino. <laughs> I like that line. Love that line. Bond jokes about Bullion because he's got bold, uh, gold teeth. He says, I see you put your money where your mouth is. Uh, again, nerd Bond. I like it. So, so um... So Mr. Bullion is um a D- it was a uh, a DJ called uh Goldie. Goldie. Yeah. And he said like I th- I think this was his first acting credit. I like, think so, yeah. One. Yeah, so on his first one. So clearly he knew someone. Cuz I don't know how he would have managed to get No, it's not like he's in a super prominent role, but he's in a, a fairly big role here. I'd consider it pretty prominent considering all of the major scenes he's in. He's got more lines than Cigar Girl. He, uh, he's he got more of a purpose to him than Gabor. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and those um, those gold teeth are genuine. Yeah. He has gold teeth. That's why he's a gold. I'd assume he probably knows David Arnold from the Music Connections, but you never know. I mean, he could just be like, uh, Barbara Broccoli could just be like, yeah, big fan of Goldie or something. Like, I, of course, know him for nothing other than this. <laughs> Literally, if I were to bump into that dude, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, you know, it's Bull." <laughs> so he was in um, he was in Snatch, which is a Guy Ritchie film. 
and he also was in EastEnders for a short period of time, which is one of the which is one of the two most foremost British soap operas. I can't picture him being the soap opera guy. <laughs> what was well, he played a gangster. So. Oh, okay. Well, I can picture him being in Snatch. Because uh, that one, that's a weird movie. It's a movie that I really wish that I liked, but I didn't. Something just doesn't speak to me about it. And it's not just the fact that I can't understand a goddamn word that Brad Pitt says in the movie. <laughs> uh, humor me for a little bit more while I gush about music. The music in this casino. It's a lounge version of the other main theme of the movie, which is Electra's main theme. Only myself to blame. And um, on the soundtrack, you get to hear the actual one with lyrics behind it with Scott Walker singing. It's a track I'm a big fan, a big big fond of, a big fan of, very fond of it. Uh, I love that they utilized it in the score, and the vocal rendition it has a very like Frank Sinatra, Bobby Darin, Dean Martin kind of feel to it. So if people like that kind of vibe, definitely check it out. And I say that it's Electra's theme because it definitively is Electra's theme. Like David Arnold in the commentary says. And we've got Electra's theme coming in here. Like, it's her theme. But I think that the lyrics were also reflect more of Bond in relation to Electra, rather than this being, like, Electra's theme. If you want to look at it in that way, with his relationship with Tracy, and for instance, you can see that their, well, their intention, and I don't think that they really fully managed to pull this off in the movie, but Barbara Broccoli specifically explains this movie as quote bond thinks he's found another tracy in electra but he's actually found another blofeld i don't i don't think they're able to get the deep enough connection between the two but the lyrics reflect this a little bit just a little bit with the tracy kind of thing the the lyrics for it are I've walked way past midnight. I've driven for days. I've tried to forget in so many ways. I've held other arms, but they don't feel the same. And I've only myself to blame. From city to city, I still see your face. It follows me around all over the place. I shouldn't look back, but I do just the same. And I've only myself to blame. I knew it was love, but when you are young, you think love will come again and again. There's no greater fool in the Fool's Hall of Fame, and I've only myself to blame. I think that's a great way of looking at the the Tracy thing, where he's just kind of like, yeah, we were young, we were in love, and I've, I'm with all these women, I'm traveling around, and I constantly think about her, and it's my fault. Because she would not have died if it wasn't for Blofeld. I thought she was a much better connected character than Denise Richards, but I wouldn't say I went as far as to compare her to Tracy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't compare her to that. I think that, I think the, the, the idea of the love aspect of it is one of the, the weaker parts of the movie just because it's too quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Outside of that, I think that she's an absolutely incredible character. So I'll, I'll go. I'll go that far. So there's a big switch later on when it comes to that, where like it hit Rob, it hit me when I was watching it the first time. Yeah, it's 
and it's a shame. Go ahead. Go ahead. It was already hitting me at this point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like the official switch, like <laughs> oh yeah, the it went, once the heel turn happens, yeah, that's obviously that's the that's the more interesting aspect, and that's when it really comes to the forefront. But still, at this point, you can tell that she's very, she's complex as a character goes, because obviously, because when, when the switch does happen, you, it's totally understandable. Like it's not like it 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 does enough where it comes out of nowhere that you. That, it's, that you can kind of class it as a swerve, but it's so understandable and it's and it makes such logical sense to get there that you kind of, if you if you were caught off guard by it, then you feel pretty stupid that you were. Yeah. <laughs> but and that, and that's kind of like as perfect as it really gets. But I, even at this point, you kind of you're getting so much sense about what she is like as a person, even though she's at the moment trying to obviously show more of a a positive side towards bond and stuff like that and not trying to come across as the person that she actually is the fact that she is talking about how she um but lives things like like uh, she she doesn't live in fear anymore and the fact that um like the fact that, that like I can't, remember, I can't remember the line exactly because i should have written this down because it's one of the biggest lines in the entire thing and that's the thing that bond actually does to figure it out but there's no point in living if you can't feel alive yeah exactly and so that's still that's still consistent throughout from that character the character that she's portraying now to the character that she portrays at the end of the movie. So I like the fact that those things are still like bubbling to the surface. I just think that this is one of those elements to the movie where it's like, man, if you tweak a couple things, I don't know even specifically what to tweak, but if you got a stronger love connection between Bond and Electra. And it might even be between Pierce Brosnan and Sophie Marceau more than anything. Then it can hit you that much harder. Because I never feel like Electra and Bond is something, even like Paris and Bond or uh, Kara and Bond or, you know, we've gotten like uh, Anya and Bond in some ways where it's kind of like, oh, I could see them ending up together. Like, I never get that feeling with Elektra. And I always try to convince myself that it's the case. But I go like, he doesn't see another Tracy in Elektra. No, it's like you, you didn't pull it off well enough for that. I, I think there's one moment where they do, but I haven't got to that point yet. Two scenes, uh, I think, after this one, yeah. Yeah, I presume so, yeah. So... I really appreciate the song Only Myself to Blame, even if it's just a matter of looking into Bond's psyche of being like, it's because of me that Tracy's dead and I can't escape that ghost kind of a thing. Big fan of that. But back at the casino, Electra pops up and Zukowski brings her to a private room. She bets one card high draw for a million dollars and Bond, uh, dutifully so, says, bury the top three cards. Because he's suspicious that this is a setup and, you know, Zukovsky's going to cheat. She drops her really important line. There's no point living if you can't feel alive. And she loses. Queen of Hearts is beaten by the Ace of Clubs, which I think is really good uh, symbolism there. I like that they picked those two things. The Queen of Hearts. She's the love interest and all that. And she's, you know, the billionaire princess kind of thing. So she's the Queen of Hearts. And the Ace of Clubs, you know, leader of the... Casino. I like that. It's one of my favorite little kind of tiny touches. 
Yeah. Switching over to another scene here where we get to meet actually Renard. Uh, Davidoff has the night off, and we see that he goes to this place that is called the Devil's Breath. It's like a perpetually on fire, and the locals hold the scolding rocks in their hands uh, to show their devotion to God, which when Renard picks it up, he doesn't react to it because we're reminding the audience, remember, this guy doesn't feel pain. Davidoff does, though. <laughs> he's like, you know, well, you, you're fucking up. So he puts that scalding rock in uh, Davidoff's hand. And the other guy, I like Arkov. He's in one scene. He's got like three lines, but I like him. Just the way that he delivers these lines, he's just sort of like, people will start asking questions, <laughs> like, even about me. Something about that guy. I don't know. I like him. But he gets shot. Yeah. Price of failure, Blofeld scenario. And I want to bring up something that Rob messaged me. Robbie, uh, not Robbie Coltrane. Oh my God, Robert Carlyle. I agree with you. He could have been a good Blofeld. Yeah. So it wasn't this scene. It was when he says something like, see you later, Mr. Bond. It was something, Mr. Bond, when he said it and I looked at him, I went, oh, my God, he should be playing Blofeld. And this is after he gives the great line of I yeah, broke we'll get, Yeah. Like, <laughs> oof. I was like, this fucking guy should be playing Blofeld. I think if they had rights to the character and they could have done something like that, that would have been really cool. What do you think, Cal? Yeah, I can totally see him playing that role. I think he's, I think he's fine for what they give him here. I think it's a, it's a little bit restrictive in terms of just the overall character they give him here. He's a bit too. I, I guess he could have worked a goal. Yeah, well, it's a bit like, especially later into the movie, he's a bit. He's a bit sappy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's like, I think he probably could have played off, like pulled off a, um, uh, a Blofeld role pretty well. But in this character, he's a bit, you know, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, he's, this he's super too strong... emotional. He's too emotional. Well, to well I, I can kind of understand the emotional side of it just because of his, uh, like because of his condition. And so, it's like it reminds me of um the latest uh, God of War game, where I'm trying to remember the name of the god that's in it, but it's, essentially there's a god that can't feel pain, and that's like seemingly a curse for him, because essentially because he can't feel anything, that just is depressing. You'd rather you'd rather be able to feel things and then know that you're mortal than not be able to feel anything and be able to live forever and and be protected from all harm, pretty much. And so I can understand the emotional side of it. It's a bit more that he's just like a bit whiny towards the end so so that was that was the difference really it goes from being emotional to being a bit <laughs> yeah. put my fist through this glass <laughs> that's a little sad bit. sack kind of thing yeah yeah renard's not uh he's not placing super high on my list we'll get to that when we uh give our rankings but bond sleeps with electra you know shadows on top and um they're in bed while a piano rendition of Only Myself to Blame plays, by the way. You want to toss another point in the tracker of 
more accidental nudity in the series. There you go. There's a brief shot of that that they didn't. Um, nobody's missed keeping track of over the years. A part of the trivia. It's like trivia, netball, like kind of thing. Because people netball. are into that. Well, she's French, and uh, she's into ice. In bed, yeah, yeah. and we get to see more of that later on in a weird way. So much so that they almost called it fire and ice. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why they wanted to call it that. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a bit of a weird thing. But Pierce Brosnan's Bond is a bit weird in these <laughs> in these situations. It's a bit it's a bit Basic Instinct style. Yeah, <laughs> like because essentially she essentially baby birds a piece of ice into Bond's mouth. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't like it. <laughs> Look, uh, again, I don't want to kink shame or anything like that, but it's just a case yeah. of... There's far weirder stuff out like there, Bond, but still. But, but you kind of get the sense with the fact that the only real thread between all these things, the fact that Pierce Brosnan's involved in all of them, that Pierce has having some sort of input. I forgot to write down and to notice whether or not he bites her shoulder. I... Um... <laughs> Well, well, he doesn't, but he, like, again, it's something that happens really later. It's just that Bond does weird things with corpses again. It's just... Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is he off to when it's uh, his off time, you know? Katie Vick. It's Mark out moment reference for anybody. Uh, <laughs> I would say look it up, but don't. Don't look it up. <laughs> it um, been, I can't imagine, even in a Bond movie, to him crilling out the line, I just fucked your brains out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she explains that she had gotten out of her kidnapping by seducing the guards, and she asks what Bond does to survive. And he says, I take pleasure in great bre- uh, yeah, in great beauty. And that's our like big they're falling in love type of thing, which I I I, I don't think works. No. No, I, I see. I didn't see that part of it as the the falling love part. I I see Electra when Electra says her stuff because I think that there's a there's that moment where it's a bit of like again it's it's probably too subtle and then you need to do more of it and I totally agree with that. But I think it's that moment that you can just kind of see something click in Bond's head. It's like saying, "Wow, she's broken. Like I'm broken." Because Bond knows he's broken. Yeah, and I think he sees that in her. So it's more like a kindred spirit type thing rather than the fact that him taking pleasure in great beauty. I think that's his defense mechanism kicking in. Isn't it weird that in a series that has things like the character's name is Pussy Galore, that you can legitimately get into things about like no, the psychology of defense mechanisms after you've lost a loved one and you've gone through PTSD and like. <laughs> well, I think after you know twenty films of this you start to do that stuff mm-hmm. because for god's sake they got characters named pussy galore we gotta find some substance here but it's well, like it, was... it naturally works its way in there though like it's not just i look i can't imagine and i haven't seen them so i don't know for sure i can't imagine nine films deep into fast and the furious that you can get really that much past vin diesel going it's all about family <laughs> like well, I also think that it's kind of, I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm sure, I'm sure there is sort of like an undercurrent of like wanting to get these feelings across. There's also part of obsessors of this franchise, which Tony definitely falls into. Yeah. <laughs> Basically putting those things in place or seeing those things, even if they weren't intended in the first place. 
And you can only really get that narrative together when you see the movies, not necessarily in order, but you see all of the movies. Because mm-hmm. if you just saw one movie, you would not, you would not get that. You might be able to get like a little hint of it, but you wouldn't get the the overarching narrative that you get from that from watching the entire series. It's kind of like Batman. If you watch, like Batman and Robin, Batman's a you know a dude in a bat suit that punches people. And you get deeper into the comics, you get deeper into the animated series and, you know, Justice League and whatever, and you can be like, all right, let's have a debate about whether or not gun violence with the ghetto is something that can be solved. And let's have a debate about the psyche of Selena Kyle as a love interest, uh, as opposed to Silver St. Cloud and Julie Madison and Talia al Ghul and... I mean, there's a whole check it out the podcast for everybody. Um, the Arkham sessions with Dr. Andrea Letamendi. She does a fantastic job of breaking down, like, okay, this is the Riddler's, um, you know, psychological elements. And this is what happens when somebody like a killer croc runs into this kind of thing. And it's like, big guess, crocodile dude. And it's like, yeah, you know, the <laughs> um, Bond series. It's, uh, it's got a lot of depth in a series when you look at the series, but when you look at the individual movies and you're like, Oh, you've got nothing to declare except the cello. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, that's why I think that's something like a review to a kill is like, it's good to look at it in that way. I don't know. And to, since we're tossing out things, also check out our, uh, Mount Rushmore of Batman's Rose gallery on this very channel where we get into some more of those things where we debate, should Joe chill be on the Mount Rushmore or does that not count? And, you know, so definitely check that out. That was a very, very fun podcast. wonder what we could do when it comes to, if we can pull Mount Rushmore on the bond stuff, we're going to have to see about that. Cause we got rankings for things that might be for the bond girls. Maybe we'll do a Mount Rushmore, of the bond girls or something. I don't know. We'll see. Let us know in the comments below what you want. Uh, time for some spy work. Love it when they do the spy work in the more modern movies because we don't get as much of it. Thumbs up on your end, Cal. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love Bond actually, you know, doing his job. Using a uh, credit card lock pick to break into the office and uh, stowing away in Davidoff's car and everything like that. Even just like, yeah. you know, him walking around doing that kind of stuff is like, all right, yeah, Bond's a spy. <laughs> Yeah, so he, he figures that stuff out. Like, he's he's snooping around the place. He sees the corpse in the back of Davidoff's car, switches places with it, goes in the other place, and then it's back to action kill Bond. <laughs> I think it's funny that he just flat out shoots Davidoff. He's got a license to kill him. Might as well use it. Yeah, why not? The note that I've written down is, does he have enough evidence to murder this guy? <laughs> Because it's Electra's head of security. And, like, yeah, he's definitely suspicious. Well, he's got a corpse in the back of his car. But then again, it's like, well, maybe something's up. I don't know. Maybe Arkov was a guy that was, like, a bad dude. You know? Some guy that was going after Electra or something. Mm. And instead, Davidoff, bang, bang, shot in his stomach. He's dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta... 
get it over with quick. No need for all this. You know, hey, let's talk about this. Let me tell you all my shit. Nope. Bang, bang. <laughs> Itchy trigger finger. Pond's like, hey, I just uh, just shot off and I'm going to shoot off again. And he jokes that Davidoff was buried in work. So that's why he's not there. Uh-huh. Okay, I need, I need to talk about this thing that happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be the thing that I have the next note about. So, like, so Bond's taken to the plane, and so he's on there. They, he's taken on the the role that Davidov was going to be playing, which was the the the, the dead Arkov. So it's now it's now gone from Arkov to Davidov <laughs> now to Bond. Yeah. But my biggest issue, and again, I think it's something that I've mentioned before, but I've got to do it here, is that in part 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 of the way during this plane ride, there are people speaking in Russian. Yet when they talk to Bond, they're speaking English. Oh, that's not even the part that I thought you were going to be talking about. No, no, because it, it pisses me off about the idea that, like, uh, why is... Because Bond does speak Russian later on, so we know he can do that if he wanted to. But why why did this guy come up to him and speak English? Yeah. It's just... It, it's bizarre to me. And I, I totally understand it if it was, like, the idea of... You know how certain movies do something where people speak in accents, but they're actually speaking the language. Yeah, and it's just, just kind of like, well... We're taking poetic license here that you're just translating it. Like, obviously, the language in Star Wars more than likely is not English. It's Orbesh, but we're hearing it as English. Yeah. Kind of thing. But then it's, but there's just the idea of like, and again, I watch these with the subtitles on. So it's when I see the little, um, little subtitle pop up which says speaking in Russian or like people, like people speak in Russian. And then someone walks up to Bond and speaks English. I'm just like going, be consistent. There's yeah. no, there's no problem with you doing actually speaking in Russian and putting subtitles on the screen. It's more immersive that way if you were to do that, or just have everyone speaking English. I don't mind either way, but don't go one into the other. It makes no sense. Well, that guy earlier in a different scene, he made sure to tell everybody I speak English. <laughs> See, I was trying not to, but Tony <laughs> has no chill. Uh, no. I am full blown. Bond uh, makes the quip about the I'll see you at the lodge. That's going to make well, me pop. I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay, so now we, we have to address something else. Yeah, the bag. Not right? only the bag. <laughs> uh, not only the bag. But the idea that they're just like, oh, I was expecting someone else. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I get, we have computers at this point. He does introduce himself all the time as Bond, James Bond. Do people not know what he looks like? Yeah. There, there's no disguise work ever done in this franchise outside of an extremely racist one. <laughs> Which doesn't I work. fucking understand. Yeah, it's just, uh, hey, where's Davidoff? I was expecting him. Yeah, he's buried in work. Okay, well, you know, you can be fake Arkov. And he says, do you have the grease? And Bond has no idea what is going on, but he just shakes a bag, assuming that that's it. And it is. And it's sneakers? Sneakers, yeah. Okay. What? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> this is part where, like, it can't be number two on my best <laughs> movies ever because of stuff like this. I still, well, to this day, everything I've tried to look for to try to explain this has never given me a satisfying enough answer. No, I, 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 I'm not going to do the right job for them and try and come up with something. My what? assumption was that they were that it was something in the sneakers 
that he was going to put the sneakers on and that was something that he was going to use to as part of the excavation process later on. According to every single thing that I've come across, it's just sneakers are expensive and cool. Mm -hmm. That's literally it. It's just like, you know, people spend hundreds of dollars on a pair of whatever the hell. And it's like... They're they're like either knockoff or they're the real versions of you know like Jordans or whatever. I don't fucking buy sneakers with that. I buy. I'm wearing a pair of uh, twelve dollar shoes I got from Payless <laughs> right now. So, or is it is is it maybe just as simple as the fact that it's just a brand of sneakers called Grace? <laughs> That'd be funny if that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, the Grace. You have the sneakers. <laughs> yeah, they have the Nikes that kind of thing. But I hate this joke. I don't mind the joke of Bond conveniently grabbing that and being like, oh, I got the thing, and oh, look at that, it turned out to be the thing. But it's like, it's sneakers? Come on. Come on. You know? Uh, So they all go to Kazakhstan, the greatest country in the world, who invented toffee and uh, trouser pants. You know nothing about Kazakhstan, right? <laughs> I've seen two Borat movies. And he cuts out his photo ID from Universal Exports, which I love. Just, you know, recurring theme of Universal Exports. He's going to replace Davidov, who was a replacement for Arkov, who's a replacement for somebody who actually is going to be working well with everybody. And we meet the... Smoking hot nuclear physicist, Dr. Christmas Jones, played by Denise Richards. Merry Christmas. Because she's in the prime, and Denise Richards looks great. So we do thumbs up and thumbs down on this, but uh, would you deck her halls? I'll give her free hose. Keep talking about <laughs> Yeah. I mean, she's on my naughty list, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Any Christmas pun you can possibly give. I had said the, hey, Tony, can Christmas come early this year? When I saw her, I was like, okay. Uh, she's, look, if anybody's going to call us out on this, look, she's flat out hot. You can't deny it. She's a bombshell. Like, Denise Richards is hot. And that's, they knew what they were going for. They you want people to jingle their around. bells to her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, not, after, after this uh, movie, I was dreaming of a white Christmas. <laughs> Look, I I get it when the guy says, you know, she's not interested in men, don't even try, whatever, like that. But, you know, because everybody would look at her and the first thing they'd be thinking was, we're not going to rock it around that Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I know that like uh, that's what basically she is here for she's here to be hot and again you can't deny that but you also can't deny that she's got no chemistry and no charisma on screen yeah it it, it is hard to buy into it and you know that she's you again I don't want to be mean because it's like, this is the way it's going to go. Although I did just make a lot of sexual puns towards her. So I guess it's kind of like in for a penny, in for a pound. But 
it's kind of obvious that she learned how to say some of these words for the first time in her human existence. (laughs) Like she, she said those words like on this set and never said them ever again. A lot of these words. So. And she is just not great as an actress and she's great in some other things. Like Denise Richards herself is not just a pretty face. She has been good in other things. Not everybody can play every role. And this role is not only not for her, it's also just not written well. She is very much Stacey Sutton, where it's like a really good looking actress and a character that sucks and an actress that can't pull it off past that point. She's awful. She's flat, completely miscast. She's good looking yeah. though. That's all they cared about. And my chestnuts are roasting on an open fire when I'm looking at her. So, see a doctor about that. Christmas Jones, obviously, because that only make the condition worse. You know, that's the sad part. I don't have any of these written down as any notes. <laughs> no, I haven't done it either. We do have to applaud James Bond for coming far enough that he can see a lady doctor and not go. A woman. Yeah. And he's got a great bit here where the guy had said, like, look, she's not interested in men. She was doing these in, like, four different test sites, not even a glimmer. And she's like, you know, "Ah, are you just looking for a glimmer? And um, Dr. Jones, don't make any uh, jokes. I've heard them all. And his response, I don't know any doctor jokes. (laughs) Charming as fuck. (laughs) Like, (laughs) even that kind of scenario. Makes her at one point just kind of be like caught off guard. Like he's got the the balls to say something like that. Like it's just that's a that's a disarming line, you know. I, I will say that even though I, I agree with you in her, she's completely miscast in this role. I think if you get another actress, this role can work really well. Yeah, because there are things that the it's weird. There's things that the character does in this movie that is good makes a lot of sense and is being completely anchored down by the person playing the character yeah if you replace her with another actress you get a weaker natalia yeah i'd say say that's probably a a good comparison because she's still not doing too much especially when we get to the end here she just she serves no purpose at all I i mean i mean she does some things like is able to almost defuse a bomb at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. The pipeline scene is her scene kind of, and the submarine is like, well, well you, you know, that's for a different reason. But. Well, well, here's part of, well, here's something that she manages to do. But so when we get to the thing of like, so he goes down into the, Oh, well, uh, before, point, before we oh, get into that yet, I got a couple notes. Uh, he asks if he is going to, need any protection so he's completely forgotten that he could just wash it all off like in Doctor No (laughs) and she's acting real bitchy to him and calls him out she says your English is very good for a Russian and he slams her back in perfect Russian I studied at Oxford (laughs) and he gets a glimmer well so here here are part of the things that caught my attention with this is the fact that 
So she's angry at him as Arkov because of the condition of the site that she's working in. And that's basically, in her mind, that's that's due to his involvement. And so that's why she, she dislikes Arkov. And obviously Bond is playing Arkov, so yeah, she doesn't like him. But then also she's very suspicious of him, which is why she starts speaking in Russian. Mm-hmm. And we find out why she's suspicious in about like five minutes now. Yeah. So she's like... The character's not written like an idiot. No, she's yeah, she's intelligent. And a lot of people kind of contribute the character as being like um Mary Goodnight. Yeah, I mean, uh I used to work contribute, I meant uh, a tribute. Um they treat her as if she's this like bimbo just because she's hot. And no, she's not. Her character is fundamentally wow, this woman is really smart. And she's a nuclear physicist, and she happens to be a fucking bombshell that everybody wants to hit on, and she's not just her looks. But it's extremely surface level, and they just don't develop her. So she ends up being a character that is, look at Denise Richards. And then when she's delivering some of those lines, and it's not believable... Her character becomes, oh, God, Denise Richards can never be a nuclear physicist. So then it makes it seem like Christmas shouldn't be a nuclear physicist. And if you recast that character, she's still not a memorable, great Bond girl, but she's functionally a fine character. Kind of like, um, I don't know, I'm going to look at uh, our list right now about like... Uh, some of the other characters that were better up, but not really super duper, you know, the best in the world, but like, um, I don't know, like, uh, I guess kind of more along the lines of somebody, even like a Sylvia, Sylvia isn't the type of character that people are going to be like, Oh my God, that's character is so deep, but she serves her purpose. And, Tilly Masterson serves her purpose and you know that's a shame I think that uh, you know you recast and it ends up being much much better we'll talk a little bit more about her later on though in the bunker we get another David Arnold motif that I like to refer to as the danger theme I mentioned earlier it's uh, where the main recurring element of it in one fashion or another in these films is like ding 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 and it's there's variations. It'll be like a ding 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 or something like that. But it's it's very much ding 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 going downward. Wish I could get around the copyright things and play this and do that kind of a thing. Damn it, YouTube, ruining it, making me sing. And uh, Bond gets to Renard and he tells him you are expecting Davidoff. He caught a bullet instead of a plane, <laughs> like that. Uh. There's a little exchange. You can't kill me. I'm already dead. Not dead enough for me. Here's one of the issues I have with Renard. I mentioned earlier, I think that he's very one note. Every fucking scene Renard is in, they beat you over the head with that. Every line that he has for the most part is like, well, remember, I can't feel pain because I'm already dying. It's like, all right, I get it. Come on. Did that bug you guys as much as it always bugged me? Uh, not me personally, because people are actually like that. They'll have these hangups and it'll be 
like every other thing out of their mouth because they just personally can't get over it. As a doctor, I think such and such like that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that it is overplayed. I mean, it's not like every scene in uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, Jaws was always using his teeth for something. Yeah. He's like, but, as a guy with teeth, I guess. But um, I, I understand why they, they're putting that in the forefront of it, because it does have a lot of importance throughout the movie. And maybe it's just the idea that maybe some people just forget about it otherwise, unless you repeat it. See, uh, the you know, WWE mentality of everybody's going to forget. So on an episode of Monday Night Raw, we have to remind them what happened earlier five times. Okay, yes. But do we always have to treat fandoms like they are the lowest common denominator? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd argue with that. But again, people listening. There are, there are some people that are fond of the James Bond series. And when you ask them, like, what do you like? They're like, Kapow! Boom, boom! <laughs> he flies plane, like you know, kind of thing. And it's like, okay. He's <laughs> right, Renard explains that he spared his life at the banker's office so he could deliver the money to King, and he threatens that uh, if he gets killed by Bond, then Electra's going to die because he's going to make a phone call in twenty minutes to stop that. And if he can't, then you know she dies, whatever. And he says that. Uh, She's beautiful, isn't she? Bond should have had her before when she was innocent. And he says the line that uh, Rob had mentioned earlier, how does it feel to know that I broke her in for you? That, at that <laughs> point, I was like, all right, this fucking guy. Wow. <laughs> he just said, I broke her in for you. And at that point, Bond was pretty much ready to shoot him in cold blood. Yeah, Bond's like, all right. <laughs> Lock the gun. I'll teach you to get to a woman before me. (laughs) He says he normally doesn't like killing unarmed men in cold blood. uh, Cold blood. It's a filthy business. But you know, like "Eh, this time, I'll make an exception. Kind of thing. Uh, I do like Renard's line here, though. As much as I don't like the whole like every line practically is about that. He says that he's tired of being executed. It's like, ah, not again. I'm going to get shot in the head. But he also tosses out the line, there's no point in living if you can't feel alive. So that makes Bond take pause. Just enough time for everybody to come in and realize that Bond's not Arkov. He's an imposter. And as Cal mentioned earlier, it's because Christmas is like, yeah, Arkov's like 60. Mm. (laughs) Well, Bond Bond was getting close at that point. Yeah, true. He's a... Uh, probably late 46. 40s, 46. I, yeah. I looked it up because I was like, well, what's the age gap between Brosnan and Richards here? It's 19 years, I think it was. A right? good, like, 20 years or so. That's always the thing that's weird to me, too. Yeah, but. So they make the mistake of siding with Renard instead of Bond, and Renard grabs Bond's injured shoulder and quips that he couldn't shoulder the responsibility. So he's got jokes, too. Lots of quips in this movie, and I'm not complaining. They were all pretty damn good. And uh, Renard's men kill everybody except for Christmas and Bond, because they're, you know, name characters and mm-hmm. <laughs> plot armor gets in the way. <laughs> then he uses his watch that has their grapple. How the hell does that little grapple hold him? What did I say to you? 
I made some kind of uh, some Batman thing, I think, right? I'm not fond of Bat Grapple Blonde because I was like, how the what? Why is he doing this? And why has he never done this before? And why is it just coming out of nowhere? It's got a like the hook on it is maybe the size of a paperclip, and it doesn't even embed itself into the wall. It just barely sticks. Like if somebody threw like a a piece of duct tape at the wall and it just happened to stick. I don't buy that thing at all in a series that has a lot of suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I was going to say, boat driving around the street. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the astronaut is Dr. Holly Goodhead. <laughs> There's boom, boom, pow, pow, you know, whatever. Christmas is hot wiring stuff to show that she's smart, but I'm sure nobody pays attention to those cuts. I really like the shot, though, where Bond shoots directly at Renard's head between his eyes and it's bulletproof glass. I like that little imagery. Mm. They yeah. accomplished that shot by having him shoot a marble. Oh, they did it. They did it properly. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's a bright bit. <laughs> Just like, uh, eh, shoot a marble. It'll be fine. Have you ever seen a movie called The Crow? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I shouldn't laugh at that, but come on. Like that's, right. That's really on the... I don't think I'd like to be on the other side of that glass when they're like, that's a marble. The marble's not going to go that bad, you know, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate, would hate to be them, but... um, Good scene. I paid attention to those cuts. Tony, because I want to know that Christmas Jones is smart. And uh, Renard sets off a bomb. Bond jumps onto these chains and somehow swings himself out of the way of flames. I don't know how that really works. but Well, it's chains attached to a... um, It was like a a pulley thing at the top. Conveyor kind of thing. It was like a moving platform that was attached to both those chains. So it's not like he was swinging from one to the other. He was just on chains that are attached to a moving object at the top. Doesn't it use like a mechanical thing to move it though? A boat driving around on the street. (laughs) 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 Gonna keep coming back to it. (laughs) He should have used the uh, the grapple to hook the other end and then repel himself or something, I think. I don't know, but he does a little stop, drop, and roll. Fire safety, kids. And I like the moment where he and Christmas are on the lift and she says, well, you're a British uh, spy. Do you have a name? And he says, the name's Bond. Poof, shoots the tank, propels himself up. Da, 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 da. James Bond. It's just very like, that's a trailer moment, you know? <laughs> and that's exactly how he saw it in his head, Tony. Yep. <laughs> that, was think... like the, that was about the fifth or sixth time he said Bond, James Bond in this entire movie. He yeah. said it a lot. I like it though. Uh, I think I think you you cap out at two or three. At that point, just n- no more. What if he would have said like, that in all the other movies where he would have been like, "It's Bondov, James Bondov," <laughs> or no, well, it wasn't James. What was it? Uh, uh, like, uh, Jersey or something? I think. Yeah, Jersey. Jersey Bondov. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I'm imagining him doing that. Yeah, where <laughs> there's like a different take of the audio, and it's a. Uh, so do you have a name? The name's Bond. Da 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 da. James Bond, and she's like, "What?" <laughs> you didn't hear the music. I always hear the music. Yeah. 
They narrowly escape certain death. Renard's made off with a nuke, and Christmas thinks that they could track it, but Bond shows that they took out the locator card, and he has it, so they can't get the signal. And that's going to come into play very importantly later on, which I like that it serves a purpose. Yeah, there's a lot of threads in this movie. They get, um, they get, they get paid off a lot more than previous movies in the past. Not as much as um, all the callbacks with Goldeneye, but more so than Tomorrow Never Dies, at the very least. Then again, Goldeneye's just kind of like callback, callback, callback. <laughs> like everything's kind of like that. God, Goldeneye's so good. Um, go to the pipeline side of things. Electra calls M, says that James has disappeared, so has uh, her head of security's dead. And she wants M to come personally. And since she's feeling guilty, she tells Tanner, like, get me out there then. Bond. And it's at that moment that I texted you, yeah, Tony, is she a heel? Because <laughs> she's asking for M. And I said, nobody does that. She's a Better? heel. <laughs> Tony, have you, got, have you got used to that because of the um, heel and face turn list? It's just like now Rob's still trying to comment <laughs> out on it. It's like, you didn't put Electra down as a heel yet. She's not, on the, heel, she's not on the villains list. You only have Renard down. Like, <laughs> Uh, Bond takes out Gabor, calls Electra out on her bullshit. Says, you know, uh, Renard knew her motto, where to hurt his shoulder, or the, the way that he delivers it. Knew exactly where to hurt me. I always hated that delivery. And uh, he says, drop the act, and explains to her that she's got Stockholm Syndrome. I fucking love that angle. I, 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 I love that that's the conclusion he comes to. I love even more that that's not right. Yeah. I love love that that's not right. I love that it could have very easily been right. And it could have very easily been a case of, and Bond is going to try to save her. Mm -hmm. And at this point I'm going, but is she, but isn't she? And um, this is where I go, okay, this is a good movie because now I don't know where we're going here. And that's what you want when you're watching a movie. Great yeah, scene. Yeah, so I appreciate that Bond now has kind of figured that side of it out. I love how Electra turns the tables on him, like she slaps him across the face, and she makes him feel really guilty about that accusation. Yeah, because she, you know, I mean, he's implying in here with the Stockholm Syndrome thing, look, you were sexually inexperienced, and you were held captive, and something snapped in your brain, and now you're in love with this guy. And she's just like, that fucking monster that raped me? You pig? And he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> like, you know, this guy might have killed her dad and he kidnapped her and tortured her. And yeah, you know what? Maybe, eh, maybe I'm kind of rushing to things a little bit, but I'm a little bit suspicious of you too. Like, well, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. It's just, I, I, I thought that it was coming across as guilty, but then when Emma arrives in the next scene and they're in the base and they're dealing whatever they have to deal with the pipeline, he immediately just goes to her and says, "Yeah, I still think that she's the one that did it." Yeah. So clearly, so is he is he putting on the act of feeling guilty, or is he in a is he in a weird mind space right now where he thinks because he thinks that she has Stockholm syndrome, so it's really kind of not her to blame, but she is to blame. That weird. That weird, like, double standard almost. And I've only myself to blame. <laughs> One thing I love about this is, this is totally me 
becoming one of those obsessive fans who are analyzing <laughs> things. You know, maybe he's just that pissed off that the guy rubbed it in about getting her first that he's like, yeah, and you are sexually inexperienced and I know where, I know where this is going. You're in on it with him. <laughs> or maybe I'm wrong. Well, again, I don't think I've ever really... I mean, I've gotten a lot of impressions of Bond throughout the entire series of movie. I don't think he's someone that seems to revel with the idea of taking people's virginity. But then again, he fucks Solitaire. Yeah. yeah I was say, <laughs> with the exception of BB Doll, he pretty much yeah. enjoys being the first one there, you know? Well, based on BB Doll, I don't think oh, he would have been first. He wouldn't have been first by a long well, shot there. Maybe that's all the more reason why he's like, okay, never mind, I'll buy you an ice cream. <laughs> That's like, uh, well, they still think that I'm a virgin. And he goes, damn it. <laughs> All right, put your clothes on. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> does it better 19 times. And um, he fills in an M on all that other kind of stuff about Electra pulling the strings. They see that this bomb's going through the pipeline. He wants to intercept it. They have a line in here that is meant to basically in one shot sum up the entire purpose of Christmas being in this film where he asks, what do I need to defuse a nuclear bomb? And she says, me. And basically people go, that's it. You know, like there's that meme of the, uh, uh, depart from once upon a time in Hollywood where DiCaprio is pointing. <laughs> it's just like there, there's Christmas's character. That's it. Yeah, not, I mean, I, I mean, I guess that is basically because at the end of the day, she's a nuclear physicist. She's not somebody who's trained in combat or anything on those lines. So she's not going to prove that much use there, even though she does prove, but she does do stuff later on in the, the movie to help out. But I guess there's something that you kind of just need the purpose. If you're going to put this scene in, then you basically need someone to do the nuclear, the nuclear aspect of it. Right. And I don't mind either, like, there's different versions of Bond girls. For anybody who thinks that I think that the only Bond girls are the ones that can kick ass and stuff. Like, Pam is the I-can-fight-for-myself Bond girl. Uh, so is Dr. Goodhead. She's kind of a combination of I-can-fight-for-myself and also the better version of Christmas, where it's like, she's the astronaut. She can fly the spaceship. And then you get the girlfriend who is uh, in danger, damsel in distress type of a character, like Kara, Lupe, Domino. Um, another example of the, I'm the tech side of things, I'm the smart one, is Natalia. Paris is another one of the, I'm the, the girlfriend, damsel in distress type kind of a thing. You got Anya, who is more of the I can take care of myself side of things. And Christmas is the I'm the smart one, but just doesn't work out as well. Oh, you also have the femme fatale, but, you know, Fiona, Zenya, that kind of thing. Um, I really like the line that M says, Bond's the best that we have, though I would never tell him. <laughs> It's true. It shows off more of their playful relationship and how it's grown. I enjoyed that. It's damn true, though, too, because it's like, Bond is definitely the best that you have, but she knows full well, if she tells him that, his ego goes even higher. 
and he knows it too. So it's not like they need you need to say it, but I like that they acknowledge it. You know, they go into the pipeline. They see that the bomb only has half the plutonium, and they take out that half. Bond lets the bomb explode so that they can make it pass off as if they've been killed in the explosion. Yeah, that was clever. No, Bond thinking. The fact that they're thinking about it that quickly as well in that situation. I mean, it's kind of a very well put together scene of jeopardy, really, about the fact that they're in this pipeline now and they have to, like, uh, Christmas has to get them up to 70 miles an hour so they're at the same rate as the missile is going. And then they have to fit, they manage to figure it out that it's half empty. Bond seems to realize that, okay, there's a reason why that's the case. They clearly weren't intending to cause a nuclear meltdown. So get the plutonium out, and then it's basically just like a small bomb at this point. So get out. So, yeah, it's good that he figured that stuff out of it and decided, okay, we're going to essentially fake our own deaths in order to almost give Electra what she wants at this point. What I don't so much buy is them falling through a tube at 70 miles an hour. Mm. Yeah, and then just like, oh, I'm gonna roll a little bit and I'm be fine. It's like without <laughs> driving uh... on the street. <laughs> and for anybody keeping track, the music in this ding 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 tension theme. So, um, even weirder. Immediately afterward, Electra's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I got a gift for you," and I'm like, "Maybe this isn't the time." <laughs> And it's the lapel pin. We get a full heel turn. Electra was hoping that the money would have, have uh, killed both her father and M, to spite her for not negotiating with the kidnapping. And you're like, you know what? I kind of get it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. That's the that was the thing that added a lot of. Um enjoyment towards that character in general is the fact that her position is pretty justifiable just that she was kidnapped and she was left essentially either at bay or just held up wherever she she was which basically turned her into this so and and they hop back to that in future parts of the movie where Essentially, M is to blame pretty much for all of this happening in the first place, M and uh, Electra's father. And it adds depth to the character, adds a certain amount of justification to what she's doing. But then she shows a lot of psychopathic tendencies, and that's where you start to realize, yeah, this needs to be dealt with. Hmm. That's good. It's good what's going to happen to her by the time that you realize that she's a full blown psycho. Again, I loved the involvement of M in all of this. It gave a new light to that character as well, because it's like, all right, they're not just the stuffy suit that sends Bond off to his death. They get involved, and when they do, there are stakes. I'm trying to find uh, your reaction that you had sent to me about it, because oh, I think it was the... It was like, fuck yeah, M, she slapped the shit out of her. Like, <laughs> So this is I the reaction that. that Rob had sent to me. In a different life, is she a heel, Electra? Then, yes, with exclamation point. And then, or is she? 
She's definitely a heel. That's the vibe I'm getting. And then, yes, heel turn. <laughs> and then, yes, M. M smacked her real good. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, ah. <laughs> These are so much fun to go through when there's actual questions about what's happening. And this was one of the better movies about all of that. <laughs> it's a great, uh, like you said, it, it gives you for a ride. Electra is one of those characters that really, it's fun when it comes to that. Sam's so captured. We get some innuendo where Christmas says, if she doesn't get the plutonium back, someone's going to have her ass. And Bond takes a moment to think of it. Look her up and down and go, first things first. (laughs) And he also says that he and Electra right now are strictly plutonic. That one's a little like, all right, it's not bad. Uh, But like, over my head because I thought he had simply, I didn't realize he said plutonic. Plutonic instead of platonic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like on the nose. It's a bit like try hardy because like it's not that's not the word. It's like right. better when it's just like a play on words based on just the actual thing. He's having to he's having to force the the change of syllable in that one. He's like, if I didn't know any better, I would say that we're strictly put. <laughs> um, where Emma's locked up. Electra says that her father stole the oil business from her mother, and she's taking it back. That's how she's looking at it. Her mother found it. And they don't really go into it in the movie, but in the novel, they expand on it a little bit more. It ended up being that since there was no, um, uh, her, that side of the uh, family, there wasn't a male heir. So it was left to Sir Robert King instead. And that becomes where it's just kind of like, he didn't deserve that. He just married my mom, sort of a thing. And Em and Renard have a little chit chat. Renard says it's M's fault for leaving her at the mercy of a man like him. And she says, after he says uh, she's worth 50 of him, and she's like, well, we agree with each other. Well, at this point, it's like, no, fuck a lecture. You know? um, M is going to die with everybody else in the city. And since he's been watching time tick away due to the bullet in his head, he sets up a clock that she can watch, knowing that by noon the next day, the bomb's going to go off and she's going to die. I like it. It's a it's a nice little again. It's the Bond villain trope of because when we figure this stuff out, it's like okay, he's given her the perfect thing that she needs to help her out in this situation, but it's understandable based on the logic that he gives for it. It's that hubris thing. I'm gonna take some kind of joy and relishing in this kind of thing, and there goes my downfall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also this weird scene in the bedroom where Renard. Talks about how Electra's body is so smooth and warm, and she's just like, How would you know? And he goes into mopey mode. Was Bond a good lover? <laughs> Did you like fucking him? And she says, What do you think? I wouldn't feel anything. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so and then he, he smashes the, the glass with his hand, and obviously he doesn't feel anything because he doesn't feel anything at all. And so she then starts pulling the glass out and then she starts touching herself with ice. She takes the ice cubes, runs it all over her body, down to her crotch off screen, asking him to remember pleasure. So it's, I mean, <laughs> you got okay. so, so, it's, so it's this and there's another scene, the scene later on, 
where you get into the mindset of Electra is just the okay, well, first of all, she's crazy. She's yeah, crazy. definitely But then crazy. also, it's just due to the fact that, okay, so part of her is happy that she killed Bond, and part of her is like, yeah, but I really want to be fucked again. Yeah. That sort of, uh, that really weird dynamic of, like, she she still, I, I can't say she loves Bond, she still lusts after Bond. But... They took some of uh, Xenia's qualities here, where she's really... Like, she uses her sexuality, like she said, but maybe it's a little more than she let on, because there's this scene, and then a scene later. I, I kind of <laughs> like what it added to the character, I'm not going to lie. Like, it made her seem like, okay, you're crazy, and you're also kind of hot, okay. like uh, You know what you get if you uh, you mix Xenia and uh, Elektra? What? When she puts those ice cubes uh, between her crotch, crushed ice. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I don't know why. I was expecting, I was expecting Tony to be like, Oh, you know, you get a really good character, and if you mix these two characters here, you might have something really great. No, just crushed ice. Cause... <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you. If you want to be an apologist about the series and the movie, you can, like, you can make your own assumptions, and you can contribute. I was saying contribute again. Attribute more facets than is actually there, and. If I were trying to make an argument for this, I could say, hey, look, the difference is Renard is very emotional and he can't physically feel any pain. And Electra can physically feel things, but she is emotionally dead. Yeah, I could, I could, I could kind of buy into that. But in the context of the scene, she puts an ice cube in her crotch. So it's like, well, they didn't really get you know, that symbolism all that much. You know, it's kind of, you have to look for that and you have to, you ever see like when uh, people start breaking down movies and the director goes, yes, that was my intention. And it's like, no, it wasn't. Come on. You know, that's a happy accident. If you want to be an apologist for the movie, you can say that they don't pull it off well enough. I think. If only there was some fire to melt that ice. He just pulls out one of those bagpipe flamethrowers. <laughs> oh, I thought you were making a joke. She's got like cystitis or something. <laughs> it's a different way to kill Bond. So, uh, what, right what if that's the way that the series ends? Bond <laughs> dies of like you know some kind of syphilis. <laughs> Callum with a gem. I heard it. He didn't, but I did. What was it that he said? Said she had a bush fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what else are you going to use the uh, helicopters with the bus? <laughs> and so the whole series comes full circle. <laughs> Remember, everybody hit the like button on the video if you're enjoying the series. <laughs> Oh, uh, this is a good one. This is a good one. 
we go over to Valentin's caviar factory, and in his warehouse, he sees Christmas in this very, very flattering purple dress. And he says, who are you? How'd you get in here? I'll call security and congratulate them. <laughs> and Bond's there with a gun on a goon instead of a gun on a, a goon on a gun. There's another gunpoint. And uh, Valentin says, can't you just say hello like a normal person? Which I like. We also need to point out the fact that in this time, we figured out that uh, Mr. Bullion um, is working for Electra because he finds them having spotted Bond's car on the in the on the dock of the uh, caviar factory, and essentially goes, "Okay, he's here. He's still alive." And so that's why they send in the giant helicopter with the buzzsaw. <laughs> I love the music in the scene. I think there's a couple of cool moments here and there. It's just kind of silly, goofy action type stuff. Bond uses the car to blow up one of the helicopters. The car gets cut in half and he just says, Q's not going to like this. And uh, he blows up another helicopter with a flare. It's just a, you know, thing. Well, he just shoots it into a, um, he shoots it into like this leaking gas canister type thing and the flames just shoot straight upwards and take it out. And then... Okay, it's 1999, so the computer graphics aren't at the, the highest standard, but watching Robbie Coltrane avoid a bunch of cute computer animated Ugh. sores is a bit like... I hate that too. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit, it, it was a bit of the time, let's put it that way. But and this then... series has to have a better budget. The CGI all throughout this series for Brosnan has sucked. Once we get to Craig... They're like, let's just spend the extra money. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think at this point they're just too ambitious for what's available, and yeah. just think that people are more people will be more excited by the concept of what's happening than the way that it actually looks. And the visuals aren't as bad in the next movie, except for one scene in particular is one of the absolute worst. That one's goddamn. We'll get into that. Valentin's drowning in his own caviar and Bond toys with him to get some more information and um, he's like, you know, oh, it's a shame we don't have any champagne. <laughs> I like that Rob was offended about the uh, the line that Christmas has. I was. You're like, did this bitch just say sour cream? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was like, what? The sour cream? Because... Caviar. Now, granted, I've never had caviar. You might be surprised to know that we don't have that kind of money. But <laughs> Donate like, to the Patreon if you want us to try some caviar and sour I was cream. Like sour cream? What? Like? I don't know no. if that's like a thing or not. I don't know. Let Cal- me look this up. Thing? I assume you're rich enough for sour cream. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> when you said sour cream, not caviar, is that the thing that you can't afford? Sour cream is the thing oh, you can't yeah, afford. Okay. The... Yeah, caviar. Sorry. But um, but yeah, it's just uh, you know, I was I was worried there for a second of fight for not paying you right or something like that. <laughs> <Just forced laughs> no, I can at least but, afford the sour cream. Yeah, if you can't no, get I'm a not. container of one of those things from Walmart for a buck, that's a different story. <laughs> no, I've I've never had caviar and stuff like that. I don't know if that's something. I thought that was some just joke on the fact that she's American, so she thinks that's what's fan- fancy. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't. It know. might be. Just, like, what a weird thing to say. Which we had some sour cream. It's like, really, is that the best quip you've got? You couldn't come up with anything. 
Also, I mean, it was uh, really weird that they were drown- drowning him in caviar. I did not like this scene. A worse version of the scene is Bond's like, it's a shame we don't have any champagne. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Like, <laughs> yup. <laughs> I'm looking up caviar and sour cream, and I'm seeing that there's quite a bit of recipes that deal with this. There's this blini with herbs, sour cream, and caviar. Uh, right. It's a At Russian thing. At least it's a thing. I didn't. I didn't know. I was just like potato blini so with sour weird. cream and caviar. So I don't know. Maybe there's uh, new potatoes with sour cream and caviar. Why are they new? Seems like it's more the potatoes that are going with sour cream. Smoked salmon pancakes with sour cream and caviar. You don't huh. need potatoes, though. Yeah, why is it new potatoes? What are you gonna get? Old potatoes? <laughs> it's the fact that they're, they're young potatoes. Ah, uh, so they're not like super ripe or whatever. Yeah, so they haven't been like grown all the way through and stuff like that. I I don't like sour cream, and I would assume I that I don't like caviar. Now. I don't know if I've ever had a new potato, but potatoes are good, so at least I would eat that part. I'll be honest, I'm looking at the stuff now, it actually looks pretty good, so I may have to rescind what I said about Christmas Jones there, because it looks pretty good. So I, this will be a moment for me to uh, to plug something that they are not sponsoring this podcast or anything, but they should. Uh, JamesBondFood.com is something I had looked at before, where people try to figure out some recipes to try to do some of that stuff. Uh, he had, uh, the writer for this, I think it's he, yeah, um, Edward Bidolf, he wrote a book called License to Cook. And it's just like, uh, hey, you know, Bond likes scrambled eggs and green figs and yogurt for breakfast. So what can we do with that and everything? I, now, I understand you would need a certain subsection but the fact that it's not called license to grill. <laughs> Maybe that's like one of the chapters. Yeah. No time to fry. <laughs> yeah, see? It's just rolled on the Oh, no. Another rabbit hole. We're going to go into that because I got chicken fingers on my mind for Goldfinger. <laughs> see, I said the one thing. He just rattles these off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm sure I could think of a lot more, but we don't want to go into that. Um, I want to try some of these things. I would imagine I'm a picky enough eater. Like I don't eat mustard or pickles or like relish or whatever. I don't eat ketchup. I don't eat. Uh, I don't have any mayonnaise on my salads, and I don't eat the tomatoes on the salads and all this other kind of stuff like that. But some of this shit looks so good. Like, uh, I want to try some of these things and there's a part of me that really, really wants to try to figure out some way to make this one of the like follow-ups to this and to do some kind of like, I don't know, make like this, um, I'll try, try quail eggs with seaweed. I'll try it. You know, I'll try anything once. Yeah. You'll only try once? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Calum's got a good one. <laughs> Toss it out there. Uh, what, for your fries only? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's followed by uh, Tomorrow's Never Fries. <laughs> Just surrender. Just eat them. The funniest thing about this website, though, 
and this is something again i don't know we'll ever talk about this so that's why i'm going down this rabbit hole a little bit Ooh, crayfish tails with cream and dill sauce that looks really good um there's a, a thing of this and this is just weird ian fleming's garlic bread that's not close to golden eye Guess what Ian Fleming's recipe for what he thinks is a little sophistication and the, the best garlic bread and all this is? Bread plus garlic. And butter. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> it is literally a short baguette, two to three fat cloves of garlic sliced very thin and softened butter. What's the point? <laughs> I mean, how I else are you going to make garlic bread? <laughs> oh, you could add some other things to it. I mean, like, you can add some, some other seasoning. You can say, well, this type of butter. Like, I've seen, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but like um, compound butter, like garlic compound butter, where people make that. That's like, you know, but just like, hey, how do you make garlic bread? Uh, I take garlic and bread. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. Yeah, you know? Okay, we're not Ian Fleming. He's not the most uh, fancy guy. He's not really put together here. We've seen what his take on what a man should be is. So for him to go, I got this really fancy bread. I put garlic on it. They've never done that. It's, and think, oh, I've solved a mystery here. <laughs> not surprised. His, uh, his recipe for a flat beef hamburger is steak, onion, tomato, ketchup, mustard, horseradish, and salt and pepper. It's like pretty standard kind of stuff going on here for a lot of these, but I want to try it. I want to try making the tagliatelle verdi or something. So, you know, pick a poison tier if you want to kind of sponsor us to make some sort of meals and eat them and do our versions of whatever. I don't know. Something to look into. But sour cream and caviar, I don't know if I could ever afford that. At least the sour cream part. So, a bit more humor going on here where he says, we have no roof, but we have four good walls. And the building collapses. So he says, the insurance company is never going to believe this. Womp womp. Kind of a thing. I like it. It's just one of those, like, old-timey jokes, you know. Kind of thing. But he's right. Well, who the hell's going to believe that? Yeah, but he won a million dollars on a uh, one hand of his casino. He's fine. <laughs> so as Valentin explains, it's all about Istanbul. Valentin's nephew Nikolai is on a nuclear submarine, and they have this deal going on with this like smuggling operation or whatever. But it turns out that's not the case. It's actually a plan to wipe out the whole area. And contaminate it for decades so that the oil has to go through Electra's pipeline. Sounds familiar? Should it? It's Goldfinger. Ah. Irradiated gold, you have to use my gold, and it's worth more money. Well, it's, it's a reasonable plan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just eliminate all other oil. This is the only place where you're going to get oil. Through me. It's the uh, fifth time that they've gone back to Goldfinger, I think, in some fashion, where it's like, let's do Zorin, let's do, you know, Diamonds Are Forever, let's do this, do this, do that. Goldfinger, continually resonating here and there. We has ten of them, so. And uh, he has got the Midas Touch. 
And if you would apply that to Electra, <laughs> I'll have a follow up for that. Drop uh, a follow up with that in the comments below. Where where can this joke lead? I don't know. Or do I? I don't know. Maybe I don't. It leads to Goldmember, which maybe we'll watch if we get to the Austin Paris movies. Maybe so. M is a smart cookie. She hooks the uh, nuclear bombs locator card into the clock while in her jail cell, so they're able to track the location. And while they do that, Mr. Bullion leaves the briefcase behind, and it's a bomb, and they kill a whole bunch of people in there, including seemingly Valentine. But of course, later on, we know that's not the case. Bond and Christmas were captured. Nikolai and his crew were killed. Christmas is sent to Renard. Bond's hooked up to a torture chair. And... That's a fun little scene for a couple different things. Electra's being all, you know, sexy with the, you know, being on top of Bond and this kind of like, uh, you know, I'm sure that this is somebody's kink somewhere. And no, there's, no, there's a good uh, little part where she says, I could have given you the world. And he says, the world's not enough. And she says, that's a foolish sentiment. And he goes, ah, family motto. Yay. Again. Going back to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> Continuity yeah, totally. on Her Majesty's Secret Service coming in. Like it's awesome. Yeah, that was that was that was a good callback. And yeah, this entire scene is like great. Just cause she at this point has gotten so confident. And she, you like you see that this is like her full self coming through. You can tell that okay, she never had Stockholm syndrome. She's just fucking crazy. Mm. And it's just the whole concept now is that she knew that she wasn't getting rescued, so she made another alliance with Renard. She used her body, and she basically this her entire character has shifted now from the innocent humanitarian that we saw at the start of the movie to this woman who believes that she's basically irresistible. Yeah, and that means that she can get away with anything that she wants because everyone just wants to fuck her. She's even cut off part of her ear to sell off the torture, mm. and uh, she's straddling Bond, keeps turning the chair, and I like that Bond just says one last screw. <laughs> and she was ready. She was up for it. She was going to do it. But uh, well, well, that was, I mean, that wasn't a request by Bond. He was saying that she was one lost girl. <laughs> she yeah. was, yeah, but she was willing to take it as a request. It's got, it's yeah. got a couple levels to it. Yeah. Do, do you think? Again, I don't. I know you shouldn't even bring this up because it's <laughs> yeah. like, do you think she was gonna kill him during, or after, or before? Maybe after. Now, <laughs> but uh, probably more like Xenia. Yeah, you know, as long as she finishes, she's good to go. I'd vote after or during because she did seem like she was missing the idea that like, you know, good touch kind of a thing. So if uh, the blood's rushing to one part of his body instead of the other, then, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's something wetter with a stiff with a stiff, though. <laughs> so Zukovsky's still alive. He shoots up the place. He storms in. He kills Bullion. And he says a line that I've always thought was really funny. I'm looking for a submarine. It's big and black, and the driver is a very good friend of mine. <laughs> it's just that, like 
when they were writing that line, I got to assume that they chuckled and then they just never went back and did another take of a line. Like, and nobody called them out on how weird that is. It's, I love that line. It's just so weird. And he notices that Nikolai's hat's on there, so he's definitely dead. And Electra shoots him. And what were you thinking at that point? Um, well, I thought he was dead, but then I was kind of like in the situation of thinking, okay, so how does Bond get out of this now? Because <laughs> his only escape route has just died in front of him. What about you, I Rob? I didn't like that. I thought he was dead, but I didn't like the swerve of, oh, he's alive, and he knew just enough of what to do, and then wink at Bond, and then <laughs> die. Like, that, that seemed like too much. I, I kind of liked it. I know it's, again, it's cheesy and corny, but just the fact that he managed to survive, and then he just slowly points his gun towards Bond. And I, the thing his I love about gun. it... Hmm? His cane yeah, gun. Yeah, the cane like... gun. But the thing, the thing that I love about it is that he fires at Bond and he knocks the conflict off, and Bond sells it like he just got shot. He and makes it like a groan noise. There's, there's a couple parts of this that I really, really like. So he, he's just barely alive long enough to do this, and his cane is a gun, so he's kind of like the Penguin, <laughs> and you know he's an arms dealer, so of course he's got a cane gun, you know. He points it at Electra, and he very easily could have just shot Electra, but then Bond is screwed. So he knows, I gotta get Bond free. Bond will take care of it, or at least that's the best chance. And he shoots the lock off. I like that they have that little moment of respect, where he's just sort of like, alright, like I saved you. I'm gonna die now. But even more so, this is what I love about it. Had Bond not shot Valentine in the leg all those years ago, Valentine wouldn't be using a cane. That's good. So he wouldn't have had the cane gun to save Bond. It's like Manifest Destiny. I gave him the limp. He yep. was very happy about it before. I gave him the limp. I purposely didn't shoot the rest of you. And to pay me back, you're going to use the cane from that to save my life. I love that. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that, like, after the shot happens, Electra just looks upon and says, wow, Van Bukowski must have really hated you. Yeah. Because <laughs> the idea that, because she, she thinks that he just shot Bond. Or at the very least, point. tried to shoot him and might have missed. Yeah. And then as she goes back to finishing off this uh, torch thing, but Bond's hand is free now, so he can fight back finally. He uh, chases her up the tower. He very quickly hears uh, M. Bond! and he just shoots the lock off the jail cell and keeps running. I love that moment. <laughs> just like, where's M? There he is. Bang. All right, now I'm going to go do the other thing. But even more so, I love the next moment. Bond's got Electra at gunpoint, ding, and tells her to call off Renard, and she says, you wouldn't be able to kill me. Not in cold blood. You'd miss me. And instead of calling him off, goes, Renard, dive, and, and Bond, bam, shoots her. I never miss. That's the best. Mm. That's a Dalton moment right there. Yeah, it's 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 it is very cold blooded, and again, it's just like Bond showing the core that makes him that that uncaring side of him. But yeah, it's just like she, she essentially she 
played a bluff, assuming that he was either in love with her or just cared about her enough or thought that she was too innocent to do that type of thing too. And Bond just, yeah, Bond called it. Mm-hmm. She's dead. So it's like, yeah, she's too far gone. Ending. Fuck it. I'm going to shoot her. Yeah I, thought, yeah, I thought it was a great ending to the character. I I love the, like, it's a quip too, but it's a sad quip. He's not joking about it afterward. He's just kind of like, you know, and it's got multiple levels to it too, of course. I never missed, technically speaking. Of course, he shoots her and he doesn't miss, but also I'm not going to miss her now that she's gone. Although he does pet her on the head. He doesn't kiss her dead body like Paris, but it is a brief yeah, moment of him. For a little while, though. Yeah. He's, he's thinking about it. <laughs> There's just a moment of him being like, I wish I wouldn't maybe have had to kill this girl. Walk in there, you know? maybe, yeah. maybe like, thank Christ there wasn't any ice in the... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I take pleasure in... Oh, him! <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's upset that he just had to kill this girl because he's just like, oh, she was damaged and whatever. But, you know, she's a fucking terrorist, so you gotta shoot her. And... Yeah. And then he immediately has to transition to diving into the water from the top level, Assassin's yeah. Creed style. Yeah. <laughs> and it that's was uh, so cheeky that it it popped me because I was just like, "Come on!" Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> he does like a a triple loop D, whatever, like that Rodney Dangerfield movie. <laughs> triple Lindy, I think is the name of the one. And I literally have almost no notes. I actually I have three notes for the entire action sequence for the end. Yeah, my notes start to curtail a little bit here. Which is we have to press the button or we'll drown bullshit. Uh, Christmas is entirely useless outside of people looking at her wet t-shirt. She hits the button. (laughs) (laughs) And that I like the one exchange of you would commit suicide for her? You forget, I'm already dead. Haven't you heard? So is she. I love that. <laughs> it's like, yes! <laughs> yeah, that, 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 is a great, that is a great line. And But I was kind of wondering what Bond's idea was there. Because essentially he does that, and Renard gets like superhuman strength, and yeah. just forces him down. It's just like, okay, and I'm still going to do this thing now, because what's the fucking point of not doing it? I think it's mostly um, Bond just being a dick. <laughs> Yeah, but I, so I never figured out, even though I was like obviously watching it. I didn't try and watch it back a couple of times. I don't know how the ending happens in terms of what. So he puts some sort of like air compre- compressed air thing into, I assume, like the other side of the reactor, and essentially just forces it out with air into Renard. Yeah, it, like impales like, him. Then yeah, you don't see it. it. So what what sort of reactor is this that can allow just air to be pushed into the other side of it? Yeah, that thing I'm sure can't possibly make any sense. I, lo- I love also uh, obviously they get the thing where the the the, um, the thing gets pushed into Renard's stomach and he dies. Obviously, it's but it's a very uh, lame death in general. Mm-hmm. But then I love the fact when Bond and is escaping with um, Christmas, he has to emphasize the fact that the <laughs> reactor's now flooded so it won't blow up and cause any issue. It's like you have to emphasize that for the audience, like saying, yep. hey, we're going to go out of here, even though the, the thing's still, the reactor's still there. It's just the fact that it's all flooded now, everything's fine, and I'm only talking to you, a nuclear physicist who already knows this. 
It's like when you get an ADR kind of thing in a movie and people go, and that's the person that did the whatever. And it's like off screen and you're like, okay, here, that's for the audience for sure. Oh, and I also like when Bond's about to kill Renard that he just says, she's waiting for you. (laughs) Rubs it in. I, uh, actually, there was one other little thing that I got from the um, the overall action scene, which is that Bond managed to find the fattest uh, bodyguard, possible, well, the fattest uh, henchman in the entire building, possible to be a giant meat shield for him, with loads of bullets firing towards <laughs> him. This this is weak. It's a lot of just like um, Bond going from one level to the other. It's just a lot of just visual of Bond underwater swimming towards it and then Denise Richards underwater. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's there's really just, it's, it's just a load of people underwater basically throughout the entire last segment. And you get like some of the end action sequences of some of the other movies or like, uh, you know, Goldeneye, you've got the big shootout with Trevelyan on the, um, the satellite dish. And in the living daylights, you've got these multiple, sequences with the Mujahideen and the uh you know the a bomb blowing up a a bridge and an airplane and falling on out of the airplane and in a view to a kill you're fighting on top of the um Golden Gate Bridge and it just uh you know you only live twice has a lot of fun in a volcano and this is just hanging out in a submarine and I don't know if it's if there's some particular reason why, but I know personally submarine and boat movies. I never like, I don't like a single, a single movie that is revolving around a boat or a submarine and any sequence that tends to take place in a boat or a submarine, unless it's something that's like pirates of the Caribbean, where it's kind of like a, you know, they're on a boat, but it's really like, you're not, on a boat boat but you get some kind of like um the perfect storm or u571 and i'm like oh, i hate this so it's like uh submarines and me we don't mix i'll never go on one i guess i don't know but i have far more notes when it comes to the actual ending scene because that's so much better i love the final track of music for this film and I love all the jokes. I love all this. Uh, Bond is on a rooftop with Dr. Jones, and he says, I always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. Funny line, better musical score behind it. One of my absolute favorite pieces of like probably the entire series. And this is a return to form of the whole ending trope from Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker and the whole Bond is away and MI6 is looking for him, but he's busy betting a woman and then we make a joke about it kind of shtick. There's innuendo one line after another in this. Isn't it time you unwrapped your present? Is one of them. That was not the best. RC's on the satellite imagery, the heat signal of Bond, and he's heating up. And then you got a couple more legs, and he's on top of Dr. Jones, and M immediately knows what's going on. She's just like, 007? Like, come on. You're fucking another one here? And then, uh... R writes it off. That must be a premature form of the Y2K bug. <laughs> awesome. But then we get one of the absolute best lines in the entire series. I was wrong about you. 
I thought Christmas only comes once a year. <laughs> so, with that one single line, you get the reason why she was called Christmas in the first place. Because they thought of that one line uh-huh. and built the entire character around it. I mean, that's on par with, I think he's attempting re-entry, <laughs> That is so fucking good. I thought Christmas only comes once a year. And it's so good that these movies end with those things, too, because it's like the last thing you get from the movie is like (laughs) this fucking orgasm joke. (laughs) Oh, I love it so much. It's arguably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a great way. It's a, it's a good like just nice funny pop at the end of it. It's, it's very very Bond. So yeah, one of the, one of, one of the best closing lines of the entire series. <laughs> and then that's it. James Bond will return. Credits go back to the uh, theme from the boat chase, and that's where all's not enough. Great movie. Made better by this conversation to bring that full circle because this conversation was a blast and this movie was great. I I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. I actually, I thought after GoldenEye, everything would kind of curtail. I've really enjoyed these last two. And it's clear to me that uh, Brosnan's going to have the highest batting average as Bond. And yes... Their die another day is going to hurt that to some degree. That's going to make that average go down considerably. We'll see, but these first three were phenomenal. So let's uh, bounce around. Oh, go ahead. As I said, I I can't disagree with anything that Rob just said, really. Let's bounce around to our recap type of stuff. Uh, Humor and action. Thumbs up for both on my end. Probably the best for humor and action. Yeah, I'd say they're definitely by thumbs up. The gadgets got a lot. Detonator glasses, the Q boat, the money bomb with the lapel pin. It's not Q branch gadget, but it's still a gadget. Uh, the torture chair, same kind of thing. Bagpipe flamethrowers, X-ray specs, the jacket with the puffed out safety pod thing, the credit card lock pick, the grappling hook watch, the BMW. Thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Thumbs all the way up. On the girls side of things, we got the cigar girl. We got Dr. Worm Flash. We got Electra King. And we got Christmas Jones. And I go thumbs up on Electra. Thumbs up on the looks of cigar girl. Thumbs uh, up enough on Dr. Worm Flash and thumbs down on Christmas. Worm Flash is a terrible name. <laughs> it just, like, the more you say it, the more I'm just like, ugh. Can't you just give them a normal fucking name? But thumbs all the way up on Electra. Thumbs up on the looks of Stargirl. Yes. I, I like Christmas. I don't, I don't know. She didn't offend me that much. And the doctor had a very good scene, so thumbs up on her as well. Now how'd you get cure that warm flash? Some ice. <laughs> but uh Tease the fire a nice thing, yeah. Yeah, so Cigar Girl, 
it was, it was a she got some involvement in the, the opening sequence so that was good enough and she got an epic death in top of a um hot air balloon uh one plus character again it was just sure there but like it was it was necessary i was gonna say it was necessary but it's like the idea that bond does have a huge shoulder issue that's plaguing him pretty much throughout the movie so like you need to have some reason why he's out there so that was fine christmas again as far as like final bond girls go she's quite low down the pecking order but again i like rob said rob said i wasn't super offended by her i'm more like the positives are being driven by the character more than the actress for me uh electra is my number two uh bond girl of all time so far outside uh, of money penny of course outside of money penny yeah so, uh, that's, that's always the trace that's always the asterisk. I, I, I always yeah. try and like just leave the money penny thing out of it because we all know where money penny sits. Really, she's kind of outside of this. She's like an inferior entity, pretty much. But um, but Tracy's number one, Electra's number two. I and put you, her ahead of Fiona. Fiona. I think she basically was Fiona, just taken up to another level for me. Fiona as the main boss. Yeah. Yeah. I have I her she... lower than that. I have her. Uh, I currently have Fiona, Doctor Goodhead. Kara, Xenia, and then Elektra. And I haven't fully ranked the women, but when I do, she's going to be up there. This character was phenomenal. I did a full 180 where I was like, <laughs> I don't like her. I, you know, like, when are we going to get to Christmas? Because I don't like her. But wow, she was one of the best characters in the whole franchise. Now, in the pure. Good. She made sense, is what I'm saying. Like everything in this movie made sense, and sometimes in Bond movies you don't get that. On the pure looks side of things, because that is a factor for anybody who thinks we're just being like a you know whatever about this, but that always is a factor of the Bond uh, girls is the sex appeal. Uh, I rank them in a much different way, where Doctor Christmas Jones is very high up because Denise Richards is just hot, like we were saying. I'm not as uh entranced by Sophie Marceau's Electric King, but you know, she's certainly not at the like the towards the bottom or anything. She's in the uh she's in the top third, I think. If I'm remembering correctly right now. She's currently number twenty eight on my list. She's above Pussy Galore, below Mary Goodnight. On the uh warm flash side, I don't even remember where she is. She's much lower, of course, but um and Cigar Girls, she's hot. So she's above, actually, Electra. But on just the, you know, pure attraction side of things, how do you rank the Bond girls? Um, out of these ones, I'd put I'd put Electra highest, I think. As, especially towards the back end of the movie. Again, the ice stuff is weird. <laughs> then again, crazy chicks, crazy chicks can be hot. So, like, I'll, I'll go over that. Um, I'm not, obviously, I'd put... Um, Christmas art under that. I'm not as enamored with Denise Richards even at this point. But uh, yeah, and then Cigar Girl and then uh, Molly at the bottom. I would say uh, Worm Flash at the bottom, Cigar Girl, Denise Richards, and Electra. Because it's weird, but she was very hot in several scenes throughout this movie. She's sexier Christmas is hotter that's the difference between the two I think 
Um, on the music, I give it all thumbs up. Score, only myself to blame. World's not enough. All thumbs up on my end. Yeah, thumbs up. I mean, we obviously don't get as deep with the music as you do, but I've never been offended by a score for these films. Yeah, I can't speak for the entire movie, so I'll give like a, a tentative thumbs up, but so it's a thumbs down for the main theme for me. And on the allies, we have a lot. We got Money Penny, M, Q, Tanner, Robinson, Sir Robert King, Molly Warmflash, Double O Nine gets a mention. <laughs> he doesn't really count, but you know, thumbs King up. Count? King's yeah. not an ally. Kind of, kind of not. I mean. Him. Did you put King as an out? Who did he help? <laughs> I mean, he's like, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to but, kind of classify. I don't think I have him on the list. I think I only have. He's just, he's just a character. I would hope not. I mean, he is just a plot device. Yeah. So um, on on my list, I only have as a, another addition to these. I have R and Doctor Wormflash because we already had Money Penny, M, Q, Tanner, Robinson. And 009 really doesn't count. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I brought thumbs up for all of them, so. Yeah, and I said it last time, and they outdid it this time. Best scene for Bond and Moneypenny and M. I really enjoyed all of that with the cattiness of, like, I bet Dr. Wormflash did enjoy it. You know, it's like, I just enjoy the way that these characters progress. And unfortunately, on the villains, you got you got a good one. <laughs> Electra's great; she's yeah, up there. Right. And yeah, but I think because of that, thumbs up for the villains because the main ones were great. Well, one I... of the main ones is great. Arkov is fun for a moment. Gabor is garbage. Uh, Davidov is okay, but like nobody fucking remembers Davidov except for somebody like me, <laughs> you know. Bullion, he's kind of dumb. I don't really like him. Cigar Girl's just hot. And to be perfectly honest, I don't have Renard high, uh, all that high up. I have him at my number fourteen spot. He's above Orlov, but I actually. Kinda think I might put Orlov above Renard. Yeah, I, yeah, I think he sells you where he needs to, though. I think I probably have him the highest because I put him above Zoran. But I don't know. I thought it was very good for what the character needed to do. Yeah, you definitely have him at the highest. You have him at number eight. I've got him currently at fourteen, and he might go down to fifteen. And Callum's got Renard at seventeen. 17. Yeah, he's again. He's just a bit one note, and he's completely overshadowed by Electra. And I just like I originally had him because I was just going down and think we just going down the list essentially and just go Rosa no Gold clearly not Goldfinger. I was a big fan of Brad Wicker, and then I just the Camel Khan and Colstrom. I originally had him above those two, but then I just thought I actually really liked both those two in certain ways, so I just can't. I can't put him ahead of that. And then you get to Koskov and Orlov and I just go, yeah, just, they're just stereotypical Russian stuff, stuff really. So I wasn't really that interested in those ones. So 
So I wouldn't say he was like he was he was terrible. It's just he's a bit one note and flat and overshadowed by the other villain. So here's a debate about this movie that I think this is the time to bring it up. Is Renard the main henchman? Or is he an equal part main villain? He's because, main like, in From Russia with Love, you've got Rosa Klebb, Blofeld, Red Grant, Kronstein, uh, Morzani, and I think that's it. I'm blanking on if there's anybody else. And it's like, all right, Morzani, he's a henchman pretty low on the list as far as, like, importance. Kronstein, he's a henchman. He's nowhere near as big as Rosa Klebb. Red Grant, definitely henchman. But you got Rosa and you got Blofeld. And Rosa and Blofeld are both the main villain of that. So then it becomes, well, is it Renard and Electra? Is it just Electra? And if it's not both of them, then Renard by default becomes the main henchman. And then, oh, okay, he's a pretty good henchman. I like the. Oh, go ahead, Cal. No, he's the main villain. Because without him, there's no Electra. You could argue without M, there's no Electra. Does M the villain? Well, you got like Koskov and Whitaker share main villain status, basically. So I always look at it as Electra and Renard share main villain status. But I, I think that you can make a case for Renard being the main henchman because ultimately King's the one bossing him around and. He's the heavy of the movie, and he's the one that, like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, it's not as clearly defined as Goldfinger and Oddjob, but I could see the argument. I mean, I get it, but ultimately, I think the way we have him is pretty fairly placed. So our rankings right now for the villains, I'm not going to run them all down. We'll do that eventually, but Electra stands at the number five position. It's Sanchez, Scaramanga, Trevelyan, Blofeld from From Russia with Love, and then Electra. Uh, she is two spots up above Elliot Carver, Max Orens in between them. And Renard is between Koskov and the Blofeld from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I have very, very low. Um, but Callum's got it much higher, so that balances it out. Renard uh, gets underneath Koskov because I've got him higher and Callum has him lower. So it's, uh, and Rob has him in the middle. So it's one of those uh, higher, lower, Tony and Callum, Rob in the middle, balances the mail kind of thing that happens quite a bit keep, with these. You keep doing this where I just land right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> There's only a few things that it lines up pretty well. Like we've all got Cristados very low. Although you've got Blofeld higher up on Diamonds Are Forever, it still doesn't work. Blofeld's still the lowest. Cristados, second lowest. Dr. No, third lowest. Uh, Blofeld from You Only Live Twice, fourth lowest. So that's on the villain side of things. And then on the uh, rankings for the theme song, The World Is Not Enough is currently at the number seven spot between Nobody Does It Better at number six and Goldeneye at number eight. Uh, only myself to blame is not ranked right now because I'm the only one that's ranked them. We have no rankings for the Bond girls. Again, we'll do that in some other kind of fashion. Maybe a tier list. Maybe a Mount Rushmore. 
But that makes us come down to the final call of the movie itself. The ranking for that and whether it's shaken or stirred. Judging by the fact alone where this is probably, if not GoldenEye is, our longest discussion, I think it's very clear this movie is shaken. Nope, it's terrible. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a shaken movie, yeah, definitely. We have it all around the same range, although you guys have it higher than I do. You guys both have it ranked number five at the moment. I've got it number seven. Uh, my rankings right now are GoldenEye, License to Kill, Living Daylights, From Russia with the Love, Goldfinger, The Man with the Golden Gun, and then We're All Signed Enough and Tomorrow Never Dies. Rob's is GoldenEye, License to Kill, so the same thing, same first two for me. The Man with the Golden Gun, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World's Not Enough. Although I, I think you might end up potentially moving that up then uh, over oh, Tomorrow yeah. Never Dies. It's, it's going to end up going... Actually, you can probably just move it now. It's over Tomorrow Never Dies. I, I'll, I'll move that for you. We'll make this I'm adjustment. I'm very surprised at how much I loved this movie. But it really takes you on that journey. And kudos to them for doing it. So that changes... Uh... Actually, no, that doesn't change the ranking enough. It's still in the same spot. That's, that's interesting. Um, Callum's got it. Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Tomorrow Never Dies at number two. Man with the Golden Gun, Golden Eye, then The World's Not Enough at number five. Sticking with that one? Yep. Not change. So that means that our combo ranking right now turns into Golden Eye at number one. The Man with the Golden Gun at number two. License to Kill at number three. And it's weird, too, that that works out that way, because I've got Golden Gun at six. You guys have it at three. Rob and I have License to Kill at two. The thing that changes that around is Callum having License to Kill at number 10. Otherwise, License to Kill would be quite a bit above Man with the Golden Gun. But hey, you know, Man with the Golden Gun's great. So that's why it's up there. Tomorrow Never Dies is currently listed just barely above World is Not Enough in our combo rankings that has a an overall score of a five whereas world's not enough has a 5.3 because i have it one spot lower if i were to move it above man with the golden gun i'm pretty sure that that would bump it past tomorrow never dies but i don't know we'll see i might adjust it here and there i tend to uh like to watch the man with the golden gun and the world's not enough as just very easy watches so maybe even over the years i don't know we'll see but Currently, that's our ranking. We're all signed enough, standing at number five on the list, which a lot of people really don't like this movie. And I don't ever really see why when a lot of people go nuts over some of the other ones that I think are kind of weak, like For Your Eyes Only, or in my tastes, uh, I I can't watch The Spy Who Loved Me as much as I can watch The World's Not Enough. And it's certainly not just like, well, you know, because it's goofy or whatever, because once we get to that next movie, <laughs> goofy and whatever just does not work. So we're ultimately going with the shaken all around. Gonna shake that up quite a bit. And that's kind of it for this discussion. Let's just round things out with some other plugs. If you've uh, been enjoying this, as I mentioned before, hit that subscribe button, follow us, like things, share things. Donate to the Patreon, do something on uh, the merchandise shops, show your support in whatever fashion that you can, drop your comments below, check out the other things that are on the Fanboys Anonymous channel. We are recording this on the 10th of May, 
So this isn't going up until the 28th of May or the actually, no, it's probably the 4th of June. So in the meantime, we'll have some other stuff probably at the very least. I know we'll have at least one movie review or something, but um, you know, keep this uh, ball rolling. Check out smartcatmoment.com if you're into the pro wrestling side of things. And do all the same things over there. Follow, like, subscribe, share, blah, 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 all that stuff. Patreon for that. Follow me at Tony Mango. And stay tuned for whatever I've got going over on that side. And also check out what these guys have going on on their social medias. Callum? Yeah. Rob? Either Uh, one? I'll I'll just take it. Barry the Um, Elephant? um, I'll make it real quick. If you do like the pro wrestling side of things check out fightful.com check out fightful wrestling check out wrestlezone.com and check out fightful select that is where i earn my money that's my bread and butter i just wrote an article about batista joining daniel craig in knives out too so there's some bond connection there go check that out on fightful.com and follow me on twitter at dude felice and support me so i can do more things i like like this callum I'm allowed to go now. <laughs> uh, I'll allow it. You gotta okay. go to sleep eventually. Yeah, true. So you can follow me at uh, Wigmeister14 on Twitter. Uh, check Again, check out smartcomo.com, all the articles on there. The Power Rankings is my weekly contribution. If you want to head over and do some retro wrestling content or listen to some retro wrestling content rather, then there's 2001 Arresting Odyssey and uh, the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcasts whether it's on the SmartCamount YouTube channel or in the archives of the podcast feeds, you'll be able to find that stuff there. Listen to me and Rob just talk about wrestling history. Uh, in terms of this, well, actually, it's not this week, but uh, we will, ha- will have done at, at this point, uh, start up the Fantasy League again. So if you're interested in just join- in following along with uh, the Fantasy League that we've got going for WWE superstars and who's on top and who's, well, Rob is, probably last at this point i'll, <laughs> I'll make it i'll make it a bulk prediction now uh but yeah follow that along as well at uh smart moment as well and that's it for me we know that shadows don't stay on top so <laughs> we'll see how that works out rob's always on the bottom jeez and you want to check out his bread and butter um it's got bread and butter maybe a little bit of garlic <laughs> But that's uh, it's going to be doing us in for this one. We are 19 down. We still have a few more left to go. And we get an anniversary film the next time around. Bond number 20. And we're entering the fifth decade of Bond films. With Crazy. Film. And it'll be our last of the Brosnan era. So the last of the uh, final before we get to the Bond that we're on now. So stay tuned for that because James Bond... And the Review to a Kel podcast will return with Die Another Day. Mm-hmm.